Hi there. Welcome to Full Marks. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. Uh, we do another podcast called Sneaky Dragon. This is a spin-off of that podcast. What I like to call a sidecast. Sure. He likes to call it a sidecast. Uh, I call it a spin-off because that's what it is. Uh, but he, he makes up his own words and that's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. We've done uh, similar projects before. Uh, one we did uh, was about the Beatles. It was called Completely Beatles. Yes. And we went through every Beatles song. Then we also did uh, Totally Tintin where we went through every Tintin story. That is and, true. And now... Because we don't learn from our mistakes. <laughs> we're going to do the same thing, and we're going to attempt to do that, or at least attempt to, uh, with the Marx Brothers movies. Yes. Okay. So a little bit of uh, context in, in this. Uh, you Do you like the Marx Brothers, David? Why are, we, why are you wanting to do this uh, podcast? Yeah, I love the Marx Brothers. Very I, good. I've, I have loved the Marx Brothers since I was in grade five, whatever age that would be. I have no idea. So that's a common theme of the three podcasts. They're all about things you love. Yeah, I think that's been... I mean, what's a, what are the reason is there to to put yourself through months of painstaking research and you know examining something that you know if you don't like it, it's just it sounds like a that would just be a chore. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to do this for uh, you know Bob Hope movies. Oh, because I have nothing against Bob Hope movies, mm-hmm. but I don't really love Bob Hope movies. Okay, I think they're pretty good. You know, my favorite brunette. That's a really good movie. Right. But you're not. We're not doing the Bob Hope. Well, we're not going to do the Bob. I mean, unless you want to. No, it's fine. That's we'll, a lot of road uh, we'll movies. We'll leave it to we'll leave it to someone else to pick up that torch. They That's can, fine. They can do the road movies and all right. the rest of it. Uh, I I make my living as a as a comedian and a comedy writer. I write. Uh, I wrote most most people know me writing if know me writing uh, for for my uh, for my thick Jamaican uh, accent is what they know me for me writing. Um, uh, I, I wrote for The Simpsons and Futurama comics for a number of years, and uh, I currently write for Mad Magazine, uh, do New Yorker cartoons with my wife uh, Pia Guerra, yep. and uh, we work together on a scholastic book called Sparks, which is a comedy book, but it's an all ages all ages book. But I've uh, since I've been about thirteen, I've been writing comedy. So I love comedy, so I've always come into contact with the Marx Brothers, but I've never really given it a full uh, go-over yeah. before. So I'm kind of curious okay. to see how the how the films evolve and mm-hmm. what I remember and what I don't. A lot of yeah. times I've watched compilation movies, like the Marx Brothers in a nutshell and, and sure. that sort of thing. Sure, uh, but That but was a great one. documentary. But, well, maybe we'll cover the documentary uh, when mm. we get to the end of this. We'll see. Well, usually when we get to the end of these podcasts, we go, oh, what did we miss? Oh, we missed that. And yeah. we'll cover yeah. some aspects of uh, the thing. And then someone will always go, well, why don't you do the, uh, the the Groucho Marx TV shows? And we'll go, we're done by that point. <laughs> and we're very snappy about it. Yeah, it's very snappy. It's basically when we cover the Beatles, you know, hey, how about Wings? How about you leave us alone? <laughs> it's that. So uh, we're going, uh, we're going to start at the beginning. And we're going to I think that's over. the best way to do it. Could be. Because I think what I, what's most to me, what's most interesting about any artistic enterprise, whether it's the Beatles, Tintin, or, or the Marx Brothers, is, is the development over time from something that, you know, starts off pretty clunky, I think, if we're going to be honest, and gets better and better. And then we'll see where it goes from there, you know. Okay. I haven't, it's been a long time since I've seen all of the Marx Brother movies. A long, long time. I've, some of them I've yeah. only seen one time, and that was when I was much younger. They're very, uh, they're surprisingly hard to find. I, I've been mm. scouring uh, DVD. St- like I would normally go online, and yeah. I would legitimately buy the films. All right, okay, let's. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's very, very difficult to find them. 
You know, and then oh, really? you go like, well, let's look on YouTube, and it's always a distorted version mm. or something like that. Mm. Uh, so you go again to the the, uh, the DVD rental places that still exist in town. A lot of them have the classic movies, but it's again very hard to find wow. the Marx Brothers. So you know, uh, if if there's not a Marx Brothers festival in town or they're playing on the TV, uh, good luck, brother. So uh, <laughs> that's gonna be my challenge just to find them as we go along. Is that right? You've been kind enough to lend me uh, the coconuts uh, for this very first one, which is this, by the way, is the movie we're starting with. The, sure. the coconuts uh so thank you for that you're welcome and uh you've got them all you possess all i of have them. all of all of them except for the very last one which uh i don't know i don't know if we'll cover it oh you don't we i guess we'll have to but i think we will that's a sad fact okay no we'll do it <laughs> but we'll, we'll, do. We'll, we'll do the full we'll have to scour because the... it's the full marks brother mm-hmm. the full it's not the sort of full it's yeah, the full yeah. we'll do it uh now what we've done on our previous shows is usually dave comes in with uh reams of paper uh, i get a cold sweat i look at them and i go oh dear because i did not care for school and it, it reminds me of that uh and so um yeah you've got some you've got some context here of mm-hmm. uh of where we are in the history of the marx brothers yes. uh but i'll now throw the uh floor to you do you throw a floor <laughs> you can take th- the floor throw whatever you want throw the table you can throw a table you can throw a chair Okay. It's the Marx Brothers. I think a little bit of rambunctiousness is, is allowed. Sure. At some point, uh, I will I will raise my knee and I will put it in Dave's <laughs> lap. Uh, and uh, we'll run around the table a couple of times. Um, so where, what's what's up with the Marx Brothers, Dave? Well, you know, when I started the show, I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. We're just going to do the movies. And it'll be so much It'll be so much fun. We can just watch these films. And then I realized when I was, you know, sort of, sort of doing the research that the Marx Brothers' career... The movies was actually a very small part of their life. Oh, okay. You know, like they they spent more than half of their lives in vaudeville, performing in you know very in some sometimes very trying circumstances, like you know in in those days. I mean, travel wasn't easy in those days, and you know so and being a traveling actor or or musician or whatever was very difficult, and so they did all that. They 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 covered. All of North America on trains and, you know, on going overnight trains and all, all the rest of it, all the, you know, waiting for, for hours and one station for the connecting trains and all the things that made travel in those days a heck of a lot of fun. Well, it doesn't sound a million miles away from being a comedian today mm-hmm. and getting, you know, the, sure. the plane that leaves two days later and you've got to stay in town and, <laughs> yeah, then, you yeah. know, find a couch. Sure. But so, a plane is... A plane is pretty nice compared to like a taking plane, a train. A, that's true. You know, I mean, just talking about in terms of time. Yeah. You know, there's I, I, a, there's I a difference. Now, if you want to be a comedian, what what about what year we did they did they start? Um. Well, it, I mean, okay, let's talk about it. Let's let's talk about it. My question is, uh, yeah. I'll I'll give you my question. You sure. Can then see if it fits in with the story. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to be a comedian back then, yeah. Was this the only option really for you? Was there anything else? Because there wasn't stand-up comedy. There wasn't stand-up until many, comedy. many years later. No. Uh, radio, not not really. No radio. I mean, yeah. no radio when the Marx Brothers started. There you go. So yeah. that's that's not that's yeah. not a thing. Uh, you could buy you could buy sheet music and play it at home. Okay, that's you could, not the best way to make money is to play. Well, you could. You could invite people over and oh, no. have a rent party. Sheet you know. mu- buying sheet music was the major way of make of people making money. Oh, from I understand music the people selling the sheet mm. music. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you, if you say wanted to be a comedian, yeah, uh, this was your option. You would you would have to do vaudeville. You would have to tour. Yeah, there wasn't uh, there wasn't like a club in your town usually where people would come and watch comedy. There wasn't like a supper. Club. Oh no 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 no. All right. I mean, and, and vaudeville was the most efficient way to, to, 
to get have entertainment because you would go and you'd be guaranteed a pretty good package of performers. Right. You know, you weren't you just didn't go there and get a stand-up comic or a comic. You'd go there and you'd get seven, you know, or eight acts. Yeah. And they're all varied. You get a magician. You could be maybe an animal trainer. You get some singers, some dancers, some comedy, maybe a, a short performance of a, of a dramatic piece. You might get an op- operatic area. You, you just didn't know what you're going to get. I mean, you knew what you're going to get by the poster, yeah. but you, you know, you didn't know week to week what exactly was coming to town. Right. If you're a person who wants to go out for an evening's entertainment, mm-hmm. was, were silent films like around at that no, point? Not in the beginning of vaudeville, no. Not in the beginning of vaudeville. No. So if you want vaudeville to go... started in 1880. Right. And it basically ended around 1930. So if you, if you're in a major city. Yeah. Uh, and you want to go see, uh, an evening's entertainment, would it be a rotating vaudeville show that would come, or would you wait until vaudeville came to town and then go to no, that no. theater? You would have, a, a theater was a vaudeville theater. Right. So it would have a week's show. It might have the same yeah, acts how often there. would they rotate? Sorry, would they rotate? It just depended. It yeah. depended, really. It depended on the acts. More popular acts could stay longer in, in a location than, than less popular acts. They All tended right. to move on more quickly. But usually, if you were a vaudeville performer, you wanted to get a week at the least. You, you wanted a week. Because if you got a split week, that meant that you, either you're only getting paid from, say, Sunday to Wednesday or Monday to Wednesday or right. whatever the, the split week was. And then you were off and unpaid for the rest of the week. So you weren't making any money. And you're waiting in that town paying room and board or paying whatever to before you were went on to the next place. Right. So you would try. And then if that happened, you would do what was called the split week. So you do your, you know, three, four performances over the three nights or four nights that you're there. You'd leave that night, take a sleeper train to the next town, wherever that was. It might be a four-hour train trip. It might be an eight-hour train ride. It might be, who knows? You might have to have connections. You might get there the night of the performance in the next place. Then you would do your performances there for the remainder of the time. And then you would go on to the next place. And hopefully that wasn't a split week. Yeah. This, so, again, does not sound a million miles away from a stand-up mm, comedian's sure. life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, of course, the problem for them... In modern know, days. Yeah. In modern days. I mean, in modern days, you can have a car, you can rent a car, you can own a car. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're in a little bit of control of, of your... Of where, how quickly you get to places, how where you, where you can go, and things of like that. I mean, still, you are at the mercy of the booking, though. Yes, you are, and that's that would be the problem, of course, yes, for anyone are. who's a. And traveling. if you don't have a car, then you're mm-hmm. at the mercy of the greyhound. Sure. Sure. Um, but I mean, that's enough of my personal yeah, life. And unlike <sighs> unlike uh, musicians nowadays, where you have a tour and it's a set amount of time, right? You know, you know, you say you have a six month tour, uh, and then it's it's do- done for a while, or maybe you have it broken up into different legs. You know, they they went for you know. Once you went onto the circuit, you went the complete circuit. Even if it was a grueling circuit, you you had to go do the whole sure. circuit. You weren't allowed to like stop partway through and go. You know what? I'm done. I have I'm fine because it went against your name as a performer, and then it would affect how you could get jobs later on. And if, mm. you know, it's your life, right? So basically, the way that vaudeville worked was um, before vaudeville. Before vaudeville, like kind of became like how it worked at its most, its biggest and most effective was you had single theaters in all kinds of different cities all around North America who would try to book acts into the theaters. And so you can understand like just by saying that, how much, how difficult it would be in a time before there were really telephones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so basically you're trying to telegraph people and you're trying to arrange people to come in. And, and, you know, so what what basically happened was there was this guy named uh, uh, B.F. Keith, 
don't ask me his real those are his initials that's just how he's known and he started in boston and he just bought theaters or brought theaters underneath his management and he kind of created this big circuit which was called the keith circuit and it was pretty much new york Boston and anywhere in kind of between there was all part of his circuit. And because it was such a populated area, like you could work, if you were a successful, say, Keith Vaudeville performer, yeah. you could just work New York City mm. and have a great career and make a lot of money. You didn't have to travel as much as other people did because it was, a, it was big theaters, so lots of pay. And because there were so many people, there was lots of turnover and you could just go from theater to theater in a city that could have hundreds of theaters right. and just make a year out of it, you know. Uh, so, and what they, what they did was they created a block booking system, which was called the Universal Booking Office. And it basically booked for the Keith circuit and the Orpheum circuit, all the acts. So if you had a theater in the, in, in the circuit, you were just given the acts. You just got them. So you didn't have to, as a theater manager, you didn't have to do anything. They would just show up mm -hmm. and they would do their performances. And so, and there was, you know, and you had a lot of control over the quality of the acts and stuff like that. So if you didn't like someone, you, you rated them, you rated these acts and you sent your cards back to, to, to the Keith head office. And these cards were sorted through and they would go, okay, well, this performer is getting a lot of complaints. So, you know, maybe it would be this complaint performer might get a warning or yeah. it just might be kicked out of the. And they'd pull them and then they'd replace them with someone else. That's so right. Probably That's a similar, right. a similar act because you want that balance of, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you don't want two magicians, you don't want and, two dog acts, yeah. Of course, because uh, theater and acting and, and all that sort of thing was seen as as very sinful, uh, Keith and his uh, managing partner, um, whose name was uh, E.F. Elby, actually the adoptive grandfather of... of, uh, of Edward um, Elby? Edward Elby, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. The playwright. Um, he, um, they like created this, this really like strict rule about like how performers could behave in vaudeville like in a vaudeville theater how they performed how they played on stage they weren't allowed to say like gosh darn it or anything like that yeah. any kind of something were they not wanting to confuse it with burlesque was that a, was that a worry that people would uh, go expecting that sort of thing uh well burlesque was a know, its own thing was its own thing and it was actually a later outcropping from from vaudeville it was mm -hmm. kind of like a lower end of vaudeville but it didn't exist simultaneously with the complete history of vaudeville okay so it was more like it was more like yeah if you wanted to go see some some kind of raunchy like some dancing and stuff like that you know but that wasn't family entertainment that was for men right. like now, you wouldn't go as a family to see a burlesque not show. to not to get too into the movie before you get into the mm -hmm. your thing but like the movie starts with a lot of cheesecake like a lot of cheesecake mm -hmm. so would the would would the vaudeville shows while they wouldn't say gosh darn it yeah would you have some leggy dancers would you have something along uh, those lines that would that would draw in the fellas yeah and to put a smile on dad's face mm-hmm yeah, of course. You'd have chorus girls and things like that. That was a big okay. part of, of anyone's act or, you know, any big act had right. chorus girls in it. But you presented it in a classy way with sure, a lot sure. of costumes and things like that, that, you know, you kind of, you, you, you made it classy. And, but, you know, it really depended, like, um, you know, cause the problem was for if you, you know, if you flouted the Keith rules, you could get a black mark against your name and never be able to perform in the Keith circuit again. And that was a major blow to not be able to perform in the key circuit or the Orpheum circuit, you know, that's where the money was. Uh, you could, there are other circuits, but they're, they're all terrible. Not all terrible, but they were just, you just didn't make the kind of money. There was sure. a Pantages circuit, which was here on the west coast of, in Canada and North, in, in America. Um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't as many theaters, so you didn't make as much money doing it. So, so what those theaters, what those circuits had to do was offer more money 
to try to to try to lure X away from the key circuit. But a lot, if if X chose to go to the key circuit, it could result in them being blacklisted and not be able to work. So um, and so vaudeville also had different levels of of of, of performance. So. We still kind of use the words too, because small time. Mm-hmm. So if you were in small time, you worked for lower pay, you did more daily performances in rougher theaters, maybe even places that weren't theaters at all. Like the Marx Brothers played in places that were a clothing store that everything was taken out of it. They put some scaffolding down and now it's a theater. Yep. You know, they, uh, then you could have medium time and then you could have big time. And of course, the big time is what you really wanted as a performer. That was where you perform maybe once a day mm-hmm. in a big, big theater. And you got, you know, you got uh, paid more and you work less. Let me just interrupt briefly and go sure. uh, to our audience. We apologize for the sirens you'll hear. We're very close to a road. And we're back to you. <laughs> no problem. Okay. Yes. With added sirens. Marx Brothers, now with added sirens. Yeah, when you're, when you're saying how the Marx Brothers had to play in places that weren't necessarily theaters, we're recording this in a place. <laughs> we're small time. We're uh, small time. Of that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're directly uh, by the street. So you're going to hear that. So again, we beg your kind indulgence on that. And now, uh, again, the, um, the, the, the world of vaudeville. Uh, wh- the dates. What were the ge- what was the general era of vaudeville, and when did it wrap up? Eighteen eighty. Yeah, was when it would you'd say it started. I mean, you could kind of put it back to maybe eighteen sixty, but around that time, it wasn't the the way it became. Like so, when it started to become like a big circuit where you had multiple acts traveling and right. arriving in theaters and stuff like that. That would be eighteen eighty to nineteen thirty. Once once silent film started to come in, they began to be incorporated into vaudeville performances. Okay. And they really cut into the acts though, because it really took away time that you know, so so acts started to to not be able to work as much because they were competing against films. And and basically once once vaudeville started to incorporate silent films into their into their shows, it was really they were all, also kind of announcing their own death knell. Yeah. And by the time 1930 came, it just, it couldn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, su- it wasn't sustainable anymore. You couldn't, you couldn't just make, was it just you couldn't you make couldn't money. Compete with film and- couldn't compete with film. Yeah. And when sound came in with, you know, when sound came in with 1927, uh, then it was really like difficult because, you know, you could say with silent films, you know, well, it's silent, you know, you're not getting the singing, you're not getting the speaking and stuff like that. But once the sound movies came in yeah, and it started film. drawing actors out away from vaudeville as sure. well. Not just the Marx Brothers, but well, W.C. Fields. To, and, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to be the Marx Brothers, you would uh, have to go to where the people were. And mm-hmm. then when it became film, your film could go to where the people were and you could be seen all over. That must be an amazing thing mm-hmm. uh, for, mm-hmm. for someone. It's like the the work can tour and you can stay home. Sure. And work on the next thing. That 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 must have been amazing. So uh, so where where did they begin? What are the origins? So what's interesting with the Marx Brothers is uh, they actually came, they actually were born into a performing family their mums mum and dad they were traveling magicians and a harpist and they performed in germany but when they immigrated to america they couldn't perform there because they couldn't speak english so they basically just became sort of and they came with so they couldn't play the harp like that's what I don't yeah but you like couldn't that's something that would translate sure but you know your language. You know you just tended to stay with 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 your sure, own. Sure, no, right? I, I get it. But yeah, it's hard. That's a shame. You know, Mama, go down and and to the addition. I know you can't speak English, but go down there and talk to the people. Like you know, it's not going to. Seems happen. like though, if you're a harpist, just Mom, like go down and play the harp. Mom and Dad have come, and they're just going to stay in the room, and okay. uh, you know, 
the family can support them now. They've they've done their work. Yeah, because I just want to say, no one would uh, no one would go for a silent harpist. If there's one thing That's that we'll one learn thing as that we never... go through the Marx Brothers yeah. movies, yeah. that don't fly. Sure. Okay. Sure. But yeah, when you've when you've had a fairly successful career in Germany, and then you come, someone says, okay, you got to start all over again at the bottom. Sure. And work your way up. And you're ah. That is the immigrant story. <laughs> not, gonna, uh, not just in showbiz, but just yeah. this the immigrant story. I'm good. Okay, so they came from but, the showbiz family. And her brother. Yeah. Uh, have you ever heard of Gallagher and Sheen? I have not. I've, I've okay. Heard of two Gallagher's, and I'm not impressed with either. Mm. Well, Gallagher and Sheen were well. Al Sheen was his real name was Al Schoenberg, which was Minnie Schoenberg, the Marx Brothers' mother. He was her brother, and Al Sheen. He started off as a pants presser. He was working as a pants presser. Okay. And he would sing with the guys as they were working. And he would organize these little sing-alongs as they were working pressing pants. And he thought, hey, we're pretty good. We should do our own, do our own thing. And so he got, got together like a quartet of, and they started performing in vaudeville mm-hmm. and doing this and that. And then they realized, oh, it'd be better if we were comedians. So they started incorporating comedy. And I think they're like the Manhattan Comedy Four or some kind of name like okay. that. Okay. And, with uh, amazingly flat pants. Amazingly, the, the, yeah, really the sharp, pants. sharp creases. <laughs> All, and uh, the people would say that. They can't sing that well, but their creases I know, so can't sharp. keep my eye off their uh, yeah. creases. Uh, and so, yeah, and he, and then he left that, he left like the quartet and he start, started on his own. And he took on a few partners, most famously another guy named, I think his name was Ed Gallagher. Right. And so it was Gallagher and Sheen. Because and, comedy back then was a team effort. And of course, yeah. in those days, if you were named Gallagher, you did an Irish character. Sure. And if you were named Sheen, you did a Jewish character or a German character. So you would do a Yiddisher or a German dialect thing. So, and you know, a lot of stuff where people didn't understand each other and a lot of puns based around misunderstandings yeah. or mispronunciations of words. And that was hilarious at the time. Now, would they be doing original material or stock material? Well, public domain material. You know, they tried to work up their own stuff. I mean, people were cop- copied and borrowed from each other, but mm-hmm. mostly they worked original. Okay. They they were the ones who created like a thousand Gallagher, Gallagher and Sheens. Like everyone, once there was a Gallagher and Sheen, then there was a thousand Gallagher and Sheens. And he was very, very successful. And so, of course, Minnie Marx sees this and says, hmm, I am living in an apartment with with 10 people uh, in a two-bedroom apartment in you know in New York City. What would be great is if my sons could become, uh, you know, successful performers. And so, uh, Chico was given, whose real name is Leonard, Leonard Marx. Oh, um, but their last name was Marx. Their last name was Marx, okay. yeah. And, uh, and that was the name of their dad, who, uh, his nickname was Frenchy, because he came from Alsace, Alsace Lorraine, which is a kind of disputed territory between Germany and France. At one time it was French, and then when he left there, it was German. So he could speak a kind of low German, it was called, but also French. And so his nickname was Frenchy. And he met Minnie Marx at a, he was, uh, working as a, as a dancer in a, in a kind of a dance hall sort of place. And she came there. She was a hat. She made hats and they met each other and fell in love and they started a family. Their first son, whose name was Manfred, died, unfortunately, uh, died That's of. It's very sad that that was very much the case. At the pretty time. common at the time. Yeah. He had like, a... He had a problem, like his stomach issues, and he just died. It was just a small yeah. baby, and they just couldn't do it. You know, once, yeah, like you say, I mean, just yeah. This was you before see the big families back then. Yeah, yeah. You get to a certain point and just go, mm-hmm. oh, "What happened to your uncles?" Well, it's almost always that's right. Yeah, very, very young. Yeah, ago. he was born before antibiotics, so even something as simple as that just could not. Uh, and so Leonard was the next baby, and that was Chico or Chico, I should say. I always want to say Chico because I, I didn't know his name was. Ch- 
Chico when I grew up as a kid. Um, did they did they say his name in the uh, in the movies? And and was it Chico? No, he would usually have a, a pretend name like Tony. You know, whatever. Okay. Tony Italiano. Again, skipping a little bit to mm-hmm. to the movie itself, I was looking at the names of the characters, and some yep. do, but Harpo and Chico don't. So they're listed when you know in the not in the credits, but yeah. like in a movie listing as uh, Ch- Chico is Chico Marks and mm. Harpo is Harpo Marks. Okay. And Groucho does have a name and yeah. Zeppo Mr. has Hammer. a name, but the others do not. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're named in the film. Yeah, I wonder if they're ever named uh, Chico and Harpo in uh, in any of the movies. No, they usually have a name that's uh, that's attached to them. Okay. We'll, we'll see as we go. Um, and so, um, yeah, so Leonard came first, and then it was Adolf, uh, which was who's Harpo, mm-hmm. and then Julius, who's Groucho, then Milton, who was Gummo, and eleven years after, I think it was about eleven years after um, after Gummo was was Milton, who was Zeppo. So he was a he was a late addition. I think when the parents decided, let's have a layoff. Let's not. Let's not mess around anymore because this is really a lot of work. And then later on, they're like, you know what? You know what I miss? Having a little fun. Oops. <laughs> we have another little gift. Um, so, yeah. So, Zeppo came a little bit later. But um, so, uh, Chico was given piano lessons. And he was expected to then, to then teach his uh, brother, Harpo, a uh, piano. So, he would get lessons. And then he would, in turn, ter- teach Makes sense. Harpo right. his lessons. Sure. That way, they got two for one. Two for one. Yeah. Uh, Grocho was encouraged to join a choir at, at, a, at a local Episcopal church, which he did. He sang in a, in a boys' choir. And then uh, he was, well, in truth, Milton Gummo was the first Marx to, to go on stage. When he was seven years old, his uncle, who was also a Sheen, seeing the success of his, of his brother, Al Sheen, decided he was going to become a ventriloquist. So what he did was he took, he created a head with a movable mouth that Gummo would wear, and he played the dummy, and he would control the mouth inside. Okay. Unfortunately, Uncle Harry was deaf, and Gummo had a terrible stammer. And so the act did not go anywhere, because the one couldn't hear the other, and the other couldn't speak. So it really didn't work out it's as a, a It's a as shame, a because idea. it feels like if you're trying to do a traditional ventriloquist act, yeah. that is a problem. But the idea of a deaf ventriloquist mm-hmm. and a stammering dummy... Yeah. Yeah, you could write some material sure. to play up that. I guess you quite, could quite well. They, yeah, he probably wasn't that clever though. He probably tried to do it as a straight ahead because he's mishearing what he says yeah, and yeah. he can't get the long thing out. And mm. yeah, no, there'd be. I think it'd be work better if it was a pretend deaf ventriloquist rather than an actual deaf ventriloquist yep. who could not hear you. I understood, but anyway, um, so Groucho was, you know, besides that little little thing, Groucho was the first to actually go on audition. And and he be, he joined uh, what was called the Leroy Trio. This guy named Eugene Leroy, and it was Eugene Leroy who was a uh, cross-dressing singer, uh, a dancer whose name was Johnny Morris, and Groucho, then Julius of course, uh, as the singer. And so they went on a tour. They went on a tour. They went to uh, Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And while they were there, Morris and Leroy ran off, uh, taking Groucho's money with them. Groucho had hidden a, hidden his uh, eight dollars under a mattress. They stole it and they left. So he was left penniless in Denver. Did they ever resurface and perform more, or was that the end of their career? Uh, no, Johnny Morris did surface. He actually had a, a fairly long career as a dancer in Hollywood. Okay. Uh, but uh, Leroy uh, kind of sank into uh, possibly into murder. 
but it's hard to know because he kept changing his name. And so it may have been him. It may have been someone else who, who did it. Wow. He just okay. sort of disappeared at a time when you could just sort of disappear. It's a good cause... title, Sinking into Murder. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Then yeah. I'm kind of glad they got away from, uh, Groucho got away from them. Sure. Yeah. That could have been worse than a little theft. Yeah. 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 Eight bucks. Good. Good on him. Uh, yeah, I was wondering, like, that seems like not a lot of money, whatever the money was, mm-hmm. probably not worth your while to take off and end your career forever. Yeah. Um, but okay. So it's hard to know what happened next. Either Minnie sent him money so he could come home, or he worked as a, as a uh, delivery boy for a grocery store and made enough money that he could return home. Sure. It's more likely that he might have done that to make ends meet, but that his mom sent him money. These so do seem like really common showbiz tales. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. there's always like someone, if you're, if you're with the team, someone's going to steal some money at some point. Yeah. So, uh, the next, the next, uh, his, he, the next thing was his, I guess his, his mom basically decided she was going to be his manager. And so she went, uh, to, you know, booking, booking agents and to, you know, to find out what kind of work. And so she met this, uh, English actress singer named Lily Seville, who was looking for a partner. And so Groucho became her partner on stage. And they basically performed, uh, an act called The Coachman and His Lady. Or and the lady, and so I guess he played the coachman, and she was the lady, and they, I guess maybe there was a little bit of romance between the coachman and the lady, and so they would sing and do a little performance. And it, you know, it wouldn't be very long because they were just part of vaudeville, and they're sure. probably doing lower end shows. Where they might have been doing three or well, four performances a day. There's a question I don't know if you know the answer to it. Okay. How long would a vaudeville act be? Depended on the act. Just the same way that depends if you're an opening or how act long and you're would a headliner. Evening of vaudeville be. An evening of vaudeville would probably be about three hours. Okay. Yeah. Couple and of you could come and you could come and go. Mm. You could go. I don't like dogs. I don't want to watch a dog act. You could go outside and have a smoke. Yeah. All right. Have Got a beer. An allergy. Take come a walk. Come back yeah. in. Yeah, that's right. And then you know, or you may maybe a comedian they don't think much of, and you might leave or sing or whatever. And would like the last would the last act be the headliner, or would it just be at ah, all acts uh, through the whole thing? So it's all no. The act act last act would be after the headliner would be the chaser, and they would be a a very pretty inept group of people who are just kind of starting out, and their job was to get rid of the audience. <laughs> so. Which is what trailers were supposed to do as well. Is that what trailers were supposed yeah, to trailers do? Yeah, trailers were supposed mm-hmm. to do. Trailers would come on at the end of a movie. Yeah. And people were going to go, ugh, who wants this? Then they'd get up and leave. Otherwise, people would stay in the movie theater. They also had, actually, had ch- movies that were considered called chasers as well. Mm. They were also supposed to, like, they weren't great movies and they're supposed to chase people out of the theater. When Buster Keaton uh, was on down on his luck after his silent days and after, his, you know, crashing and burning at MGM, he worked for Columbia and did a, a lot of chasers for them. So basically, they were just very cheaply made, pretty. And when, you know, you can be as talented a comedian as you want, but if you have no money to do anything, you're not going to make the best, the greatest product in the world. And basically, well, all it was was just sort of people watch it until they got bored and they left, and then you could bring in the next interesting crowd okay. of people. Um. So yeah. So he worked with. Uh, he was working with Lily Seville, and <clears throat> they worked on the interstate circuit, which basically covered the South. So they're working down in the South. And uh, he was making $15 a week, which would be pretty good. Sure. Pretty good money at that time. Unfortunately, uh, Lily Seville fell in love with an animal handler who was also part of the, the, the troupe of traveling performers. And once again, even though Groucho at this point had hidden his money in what was called a grouch bag, which was a le- leather satchel that you wore around your neck. Okay. This was very common for vaudeville performers because stealing money was very common at that yeah, time. Yeah, they did. And so, yeah, they, uh, Lily Seville... Uh, I guess she stole it from him when he didn't know it. Ah. Filled it full of paper, cut paper, and then went, then replaced it so he didn't know that it wasn't full of his money. And then she and the animal guy took off and he was once again left (laughs) 
without any money and uh, without a uh, partner for his. Here's my so. theory, even though I don't know really what happened. Yeah. I'm going to bet it wasn't her that did it. I'm going to bet it was the trained animal mm. came in. Doesn't suspect the monkey. Sure. And all of a sudden, like, ah, oh, the monkey's over there. And then the monkey takes your money. And you don't think the monkey's not going to rip me off. Yeah. But, the, you know, yeah. he's an animal trainer. So, so well, let me just point out that at this point, uh, Julius, of course, is traveling. Yeah. Um, Adolf slash Arthur. He changed his name to Arthur um, because there was a, another guy named Adolf Marx who was a lawyer who um, basically was one of the – he worked for Keith and Albie. And he basically just uh, uh, basically was like a bane of the existence of vaudeville performers. And he was always suing them or bringing them into court for on litigation and stuff like that because that was his job yeah. for, for Keith and Albie. So Harpo didn't want to be associated with this guy. So he changed his name from Adolf to Arthur. So he right. became Arthur Marks. And then that guy enjoyed the name Ad- Adolf for the rest of his life. Good for him. It all worked out for mm. him with that name Adolf that he got to keep. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. in good health for a couple of years. Uh, okay. So Grocho came back, and I guess... Uh, it's all crime on the road, um, man. Wow. Chico, has, Chico was gone Yeah. as soon as Chico was a teenager. And he was actually the only uh, Marx Brother to finish high school. But once he finished high school, he was gone. He left, uh, started playing pianos in uh, brothels and bars and stuff like that. And sure. Doing his thing. And so he, he left... And so, yeah, Julius, I guess, was kind of had become sort of the uh, one of the breadwinners in 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 the family. Milton was working. Uh, Harpo left school in grade three, so he was working, uh, but he had, he was sort of working of no fixed ability. I'd say um, the job that I think was uh, the best story of job that he had, like the most storied job. He worked as a piano player for a tavern in Long Island, and his job was to play the piano. Mm-hmm. He knew two songs. So he'd have to vary them, but he he played the piano, and then the girls would do their their jobs, and then uh and basically it was sort of a tavern slash brothel. Sure. And then um at night he was he he was a coachman. He 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 uh, would drive the carriage for this family who ran the tavern, and they would go out visiting at night to to the larger houses in the area. Then he got the measles, and they threw him out because they didn't want to be paying this guy for being sick, so they fired him. And sent him on his way, and Harpo describes it, uh, being at the train station with all the girls, and they're all they're all tearfully saying goodbye to him, and he went back home. And then it was lucky though, because a couple of days later, these people were arrested for when what because what he was doing was he was driving them around, and they were breaking into these houses, oh, and God. chloroforming the inhabitants oh, and robbing them, and he didn't know this at all. He thought they were just going for a visit. Oh, my gosh! So yeah, he was pretty lucky there. Now look, uh, I don't want to tell people out there. Uh, what to make a movie about? Mm-hmm. But it sounds like the, the just the sheer amount of crime. Yeah, you know, it's it, that's fantastic. That would make a very interesting movie, like about the Marx Brothers' early mm-hmm. early early mm-hmm. life and all this mm-hmm. all this crime, because that's that's insane. Yeah. Oh, it okay. is, it is Very pretty good. Creepy. Like I know when you're mentioning all these things, and it's like you know I got nothing against a brothel, but like when the brothel is by clearly the most respectable of mm. everything that you're mentioning, and everyone else you're talking about is like chloroforming people mm-hmm. and doing mm-hmm. all these terrible things. Like yeah. wow. Yeah. Well, Mar- Groucho Marx always defended the brothel, and he said that the brothel was one of the few places, as an actor, as a traveling actor, that you could go to and people would accept you. Mm-hmm. You couldn't, you couldn't often couldn't stay at boarding houses because that you're an actor, you're you were just like you're sure. lower than a tramp to to a lot of people. Like acting was seen as a as a very sinful profession, and so the place where you could go, you didn't have to. You know, be entertained by the women there. You could just go there, have, you know, pay for some drinks, yeah. play pool, play their piano, have some fun, and then do your thing. You didn't, you know, 
you know, if you wanted to, you could use use the services, but you didn't have to. You weren't expected to. There are other things you could do in those places. No, no. You, you, it was one of the few places where you could actually relax. Use of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. <laughs> all these different forms of, uh, of of comedy. And if you want to get more into this, like I'd recommend uh, the works of like Cliff Nesteroff. Mm-hmm. But if you see like almost any type of comedy that like you know um, rises from something, including stand up, it always starts with that with the sin and sure. the crime and the, yeah, and yeah. everything, and then cleans itself up like over over time to yeah. where you go, oh, comedy. It's so nice yeah. but like it's yeah. always the starting stories are always along these lines mm-hmm. of like oh mm. my gosh that's right yeah yeah whether it's lenny bruce performing in strip clubs absolutely north beach area and, and by the time he was doing strip clubs it had cleaned itself up from back when it was very mafia related and like if you looked at someone sideways you'd end up getting killed mm. so yeah it was a it was a dangerous it was a dangerous time actually um the cliff nestroff book the comedians is where i first read about uh el sheen Mm. So he talks about vaudeville in there, and like I say, El Sheen and Gallagher and Sheen were a very big act. So you know, they, they're someone you would mention in a in a history, even a a potted history, like a quick history, like like the comedians, where you're, he's in a book detailing like a hundred years of, right. of comedy history. You know, so it's very quickly done. He even, does uh, deeper uh, deeper dives on on a lot of like his mm-hmm. uh, internet things sure, and other sure. other things. But yeah, yeah, comedy. Dark. You think it, you think it's light. You think it's fluffy. You think it's fun. And yeah. it's like it is true, but it's fighting against something mm. uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So uh, in 1906, uh, Groucho uh, joined um, Gus. This guy named his name is Gus Edwards, and he was a very big producer in, in vaudeville. He had a he had an act called School Days, which is super popular. It was so popular there was about a hundred different versions of School Days out there. But his was the the first and the probably the best. Quick question. Mm-hmm. Spelt with a Z? No. Very it good. Wasn't. Moving on. Uh it was the spelt school days, but a lot of a lot of respectable comedians went through uh kind of took their um you know their their early days in in his in his uh school days stuff and then you know went on to have their own like Eddie Cantor mm. would be an example. Um I can't think of any other names, sorry off the top of my head. That's but, all right. But uh he um yeah, he, you know, and so he was a big time producer. So, so, uh, when, when Groucho joined the singing group that he had, which was called Gus Edwards Postal Telegraph Boys, <laughs> bracket and girls, because sometimes there are girls singing as well. Sure. Uh, he was singing like at the Metropolitan Opera House. He was singing like in big places. Mm. Uh, but he only was with them for a short time because, um, he, uh, like, and he was successful. Like, he's even like, uh, he had like a, a solo piece that he sang that, um, was when, when the, when the shoot music was printed, they'd used his picture on the cover, uh, to, you know, like, so he was well known enough yeah, that great. he was thought oh, he can sell Julius Marks, fam- you know, big time singer. Uh, but, um, after about four months, Minnie pulled him out of that and put him into a play, which was called The Man of Her Choice, which, uh, toured around, uh, Northeastern, Northeastern US and Canada. And it's actually on this tour in Montreal that, um, that um, Groucho got rid of his virginity and gained uh, the clap. And, uh, yeah, he got a dose. And so... Uh, um, Quick question on that. Did they know how to get rid of it back then? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Penicillin was around. If, if you were lucky, yeah. So now this may have been the impetus for, for many wanting to, like, maybe start to have more control over what... Over, even more control over, over what was happening for, with Groucho. Uh, but... In the meantime, well, she had met this uh, producer whose name was Ned Wayburn uh, through through um, Gus Edwards. He worked with Gus Edwards, and um, and so after after Groucho's run on a man of of her choice, uh, Wayburn hired Groucho f- 
to have a small part in this show called Ned Wayburn Sideshow, which was essentially, it was kind of a, to me, a bizarre concoction featuring chorus girls imitating circus freaks. So you'd have these beautiful girls, yeah. but they're dog face girls or they're whatever. Sure. Like, like very odd idea. I don't think it really flew. I don't think, I don't think it had like a, maybe, it didn't have like a lot of performances. Now you try a gimmick, you yeah. see if it, see yeah. if it works. I'm sure it worked for some people. So at some point in the run, mm-hmm. Groucho left Sideshow and probably at his mother's insistence. So she pulled him out of this. And what she did was she created a singing group with his brother Gummo, with Milton, and a young woman uh, who was recommended by, by Ned Weyburn. She was part of, he had a school called the Training School for the Stage. And so, and so he recommended this girl named Mabel O'Donnell. And so she joined uh, the Nightingales. That's what uh, Minnie called oh, okay. it, the Nightingales, which um, uh, Groucho later commented, the Nightingales were like the vultures. But... Uh, so Ned, but what was nice was Ned Weyburn gave his name to the group, even though he didn't really have a lot to do with it. He did coach them, sure, and kind of create and kind of design the act, but he didn't have a whole lot to do with the production of it. That was that was more in Minnie's, Minnie's, uh, whatever it would be, Minnie's dominion, her place, yeah. domain, sure. Uh, but it was Ned Weyburn's Nightingales, and so that guaranteed bookings for a while. Would they do jokes in between the songs, or would no? They, they were strictly singing, singing okay. strictly singing this time, and uh, and he so he what he did was he made he created the act to be what was called. Uh, in one and an act that was in one could perform in front of the curtain and so that would allow for bigger acts to have set changes and sure. stuff happen behind so they could you know take off all the animal you know things and then they could bring <laughs> out a bicycle act or whatever you know and so in meanwhile they're singing in front of the curtain while this is happening and that would give you more chances for for bookings because you could you're more flexible that way and so uh like Mabel O'Donnell, interestingly, she had a she either had a lazy eye or a glass eye, and so Minnie bought her a wig that was carefully uh, that w- the hair would ca- cover her eye, so then people couldn't see it, and that's how she performed for a long time. But she left in 1907 for whatever reason, uh, and then she was replaced by this guy named Lou Levy, and so so a woman was replaced by a man. Yeah. Okay. So then it became then it was still it was still the Nightingales, but it was three guys now singing, and in a way it made it easier. Because you didn't have to have separate rooms. If you, sure. ha- yeah, you had right. three boys traveling around, you could just have one room for them. Okay. You didn't have to have a room for the girl and a room for the guys. You just had one room that cut down on expenses. And believe me, where they were in their career, cutting down on expenses was important. Because, uh, well, I'll say it in a second. So then in 1908, Minnie forced Harpo, basically forced him on stage to sing with the Nightingales. And Harpo had never been on stage before. Yes, he played piano a little bit in Nickelodeons and stuff like that, but he had never stood on stage in front of people and and to sing. And he couldn't even sing, so he basically just opened his mouth and made no noise as part of this group. She just wanted him to be in the act. Sure. And his first performance, he was so scared he peed his pants. He just, you know, was it just, noticeable? I would imagine. I okay. Don't know. Did it get a laugh? <laughs> I have no idea. There's All right. No record of that. But I think I could, I could see how that would work. It's like a real fancy singing group, and then one guy's off to the side, clearly not singing in peeing his pants. <laughs> that that would be an interesting uh, thing. Uh, I think, it, but I was going to say that, that I think it's important to to note that Grocho, before all this, Grocho had been on his way to a successful career in vaudeville. You know, he was in a play. He was in a Gus Edwards act. Right. He was in an Ed Weber act. Was These his big... uh, the persona that we later uh, see? Was any of that evident no, in the early work? Not at all. No, no. He was playing. He was acting in a play. Would he be a good-looking guy in the play, or would he be a comedy guy in the play? It, he might. He was just a young person, so I don't think I don't think he was ugly. So okay. he could have. I just know when you're saying he was having success. Yeah. Like what? What gave well, him was, the success? Like if he was a generic. looking He was a good fellow. singer. 
his voice was it? Yeah. Okay, very good. He was a good singer, and so he could play, he could sing on stage, and he had a good presence, and you know, and he had training, he had experience. Yeah. He wasn't afraid. He could put himself out there. He probably had timing. Even but he, he went doing the the, the yeah. character yet. Yeah. Okay. But he went, but now saddled with his indifferent brothers, like Gummo didn't want to be a singer. Harpo didn't want to be a singer. The only reason they were there was because Minnie wanted them to be a singing act. Uh, so now he's saddled with his brothers, and he's right back to like the lowest reaches of vaudeville. So gone from like singing in the Metropolitan, you know, the Met, and doing all these like big, big acts and stuff like that. Now he's like back down, you know, doing uh, split, split. Uh, yeah, splitting the money as well. Splitting the money, but also doing split time. Yeah, going touring in terrible places, you know, and it only it only got worse because Minnie always took the money. And never took the never took the common sense route of of keeping on the good side of the Keith circuit or keeping on the good good side of Albie, making the you know making him happy and stuff like that. She'd always be like, "Well, they're paying more. Let's go that way." Would did Minnie have any bad habits that the money was going towards, no. or she would just no, no. like stock it away? Just yeah, just wanted to be successful. Okay. So that seemed to be more successful to her. We're making more money this way. So we're gonna go on a long tour of Texas and you know Louisiana and through the South. We're gonna go to the the, it's the West Coast, you know, which doesn't sound terrible now, but at the time, the West Coast was a lot different than it is now. It was much wilder, yeah. less, Everything's less. Everything's very far away. Yeah, yeah. It's very far away from New York. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's where they, but that's where they toured. Um, what's interesting though is that Grocho never once complained about it, never threatened to leave, never said that he was unhappy with it. It was just that's the way it was. They were a family. Yeah. And that's how it was. When he, when later he wrote about this, would he complain nope. then? Nope. Never. All right. Never complained about it. I mean, he complained. Just when you mentioned that vulture's joke. I'm just I think like, he was joking, yeah. 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 And I go. think. It seems I mean, like a bit of a zing. You know? And I mean, and they, they complained about the, the venues they played in and stuff okay. like that. But they didn't complain about it in the sense that, oh, what was me? I could have been in a way better place. But no, oh, what was me? These are the sort of places we had to play because right. we were, this is where we were in our career. There's not very much that's funny about complaining about, yeah, yeah. I could have been, I could have been more successful. Well, sure. Very funny. Complaining about the place, yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Making fun of the name is funny, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, in 1909, there were some changes that the family left New York and moved to Chicago, because Chicago was a smaller circuit and they could play it, you know, do more shows around there because it was hard in New York because they were blacklisted by the Keith circuit, okay. basically, and so they couldn't get into that. So they needed, you know, they were basically leaving. New York and going south or leaving New York and going to the Midwest. And so this way they were in the Midwest in Chicago, which was still a big town and they could do all the towns around it and, you know, have a pretty successful career in that way. And it was at, at this point that, um, uh, Minnie, who was 40 and I think 45 actually, and, uh, and her sister, Aunt Hannah, who was 47, joined the sing- joined the singers and it became the six mascots. That's too many people. That's too much split money. <laughs> so that was... That's no good. Uh, so now, over time, the the act had added comedy elements, just because the brothers were funny. So they just sort of, over time, started adding little bits and pieces, you know, little bits of um, character things and, and, and bits of fun. But after a tour through the South, and it was a pretty unsuccessful tour, it was a pretty hard tour, it was basically what was called, it was basically an open-air tour. So they are playing like aerodromes, amusement parks, uh, like um, big, like um, big. What do we call them? Amusement parks, uh, state fairs, things, you know, things yeah. like that, right? Where you're everything. You weren't in like a small place. You're like having to like really sing out 
to people who could probably barely hear you. Yeah. You're in a probably a lot of people coming yeah. and going. Yeah, on the yeah. way to something else. Yeah, and so it was decided that they would no longer be a singing act with some comedy. They're going to be a comedy act with some singing, and they now and this and um, when they moved to Chicago, uh, Lou Levy left the act, and so it was just now it was just the Marx Brothers. There was no one else in the act, and they became the three Marx Brothers and company, and that's how they were now billed. And basically, what they did uh, was that they um, they started a school act, just like Gus Edwards' school days, sure. called Fun in High School. H I S K U L E. Okay. So that's comedy because it's yeah. misspelled. And they started to develop their characters that would become the Marx Brothers at this time. So Grocho was the teacher. He was the professor character. Harpo became the Irish boy, Patsy Brannigan character. Would he talk or would he not? He would talk, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Gummo would be the, the Jewish boy okay. in the classroom. And so he would do the Yiddisher stuff. And so... And strangely enough, to us nowadays, this was offen- This would be offensive. But in those days, it was actually very popular with the people... Like Irish people love to see an Irish character in, right. in a play because that was someone they could connect with. And the the jokes that they were making, the kind of things they were making fun of, the archetypes were recognizable to them and mm-hmm. part of their character. And so it was, you know, and say, same with Italian characters or whoever. Yeah. They liked to see it. So it was all the acts at that time would make a point of including nationality. Because that's who was watching the show. That's who was watching the show. Yeah, that's, and that's, a very, yeah it's a very different thing. And that is a mm-hmm. really big factor in, in those kind of things. Yeah. 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 And so I don't want people to think that at the time these shows were offensive to people. Like, oh, someone's doing a Yiddish character. Oh, how offensive. No, no. This was just part of what something everyone was doing at the time. Whether it was Buster Keaton, they performed as an Irish family, you know, and an incredibly violent Irish family, you know, and that was part of the act, you know. Um, now, was Groucho, um, was Groucho doing anything uh, with his look that was similar to uh, the Groucho that we uh, now all know? Yes, because now he had to age himself. So he would glue on a crepe mustache. And wear glasses, and that way we knew he was. And I think he wore like a bald wig, mm. and then that, that way he was older than his brothers. Now gotcha. he looked older than them, even okay. though he was he was you know uh, younger than a Harpo. But you know, and Harpo wore a red wig, and that that showed across you're Irish because you had a red wig, and you know. But they were still a pretty low low on the low on the totem pole act, so they didn't spend a whole lot of money, you know. So what they did, you know, they did you know with what they could find, and what you know. So things developed over time. So for instance. Harpo bought a raincoat in San Francisco on tour. It rained out. The, the raincoat fell apart. All the seams broke. It wasn't a very good raincoat. But that became part of Harpo's costume. And so he wore it in the movies as well. That was his costume. Sure. He stole a horn from a taxi cab. That became part of his <laughs> his stick. You know, those are things that, you know, so over time they developed these things. Um, now, let's go back to Chico, who obviously lacked lacked that sense of loyalty that the rest of the family had because he was off doing his thing, living a life, getting shot at by irate husbands, having a lot of fun. Uh, he worked. He started working as a song plugger uh, for a publishing company. What's a song plugger? A song plugger was somebody who would go around and sell sheet music to music stores, to places where music was played. Like, so he'd go into the store, he'd play the music for them, go, that's here's right. the song. Yeah, and here's the song. Yeah. And so he was a very successful song plugger because for all Chico's faults, and he had many faults, he was a chronic gambler, a chronic womanizer. He lived, he was born poor, lived poor, and died poor, even though he made millions of dollars. All that money just went right through his hands, onto horses, poker games, uh, women, whatever he could think of. You know, he just, he didn't care. He lived for the, he lived for now and did not think about later. Uh, and even then it was the same. But at the same time, he was an incredibly charming guy, full of self-confidence, you know, had his fantastic 
piano playing style that we love in the movies so much, you know, that would win people over and say, you know what, this song is really good. I really like it. I don't know why I like it so much. But he uh, met an, another guy at, went at the place where they worked named Arthur Gordon, and they decided they would put together a vaudeville act. And Gordon would sing, and he would, uh, or they would both play and sing, and and so um, uh, that's when uh, Chico started took on his uh, Italian character. So he decided he would be an Italian guy because that would lend, because to be Italian lent more uh, gravitas to your your singing as a tenor, mm. because the best tenors were Italian. So if you were Italian, then everyone knew you were the best tenor. So there you go, uh, and so. They weren't doing so well, and so he went to his mom and he said, "Hey, mom." Uh, so, uh, and there was a while because in 19, it was nineteen oh seven that he was working as a song plugger, but it wasn't until nineteen eleven that he went to his mom and said, "Hey, mom, got any advice? Like, how can we get our act, be- you know, get more bookings and stuff like that?" And this was her. This was a recommendation. Arthur Gordon should change his name to Gordoni. They should both be Italian. Then they'd be twice as successful, <laughs> uh, which wasn't really the case. Um, she did get them. She did get them a couple of bookings around Chicago, but basically the act broke up because Arthur Gordon discovered that Chico was spending their salaries, was gambling away their salaries, and so he left. And so then uh, Chico teamed up with his cousin uh, Lucien, but that act broke up when Chico was caught uh, having some fun with a with a with a uh, lady. Um, the, uh, who is also uh, was also a girlfriend of the stage manager, so he was fined for this. And mm. then, but he thought he said, thought that both of them should pay the fine. And Lucien, how much do you get fined for like being you know, with the stage manager's girlfriend? You know, twenty five dollars. Is that right? Fifty dollars. That's yeah. what it was back then. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That to me seems. I mean, uh, like I, not a lot of this in the. To that's me a lot is, of money. Then. Okay, I, I understand it's a lot of money. That's the only thing I found offensive. Yeah. With the exception of murder and mm-hmm. all those things, obviously, yeah. it's like, oh, you, you did this. Well, you're going to get fined for that. Mm. No, that's not. That's no good. I, Why? What do you think it should happen? A duel? No, I don't think you should do. You could be, you could be fired if you want or oh, okay. whatever. But like, you know, like, hey, you slept with her. All right, that's twenty five dollars. Yeah. Well, that that does that's a weird thing. I don't think it was quite had gone to that point, but um, and you have to remember that the money went into the stage manager's pocket. I, I got it. So it's still, uh, you know, it's still very pimpy. 20... It's retroactively pimpy, is what that sounds like to me, and I don't, I don't care for it. All right. Uh, so in 1912, Chico was working with a new partner named George Lee. And they shared a bill with the three Marx brothers and uh, at a theater in Chicago, the Grand Theater. And Chico, who was still struggling along and kind of very, saw like the fact that his brothers were like a sensation. Everyone was loving them in the theater. Like they they were were doing well. Oh, yeah. Like this school days was very popular. Like, yeah. Like even though, like the thing to understand about the Marx brothers is that despite great odds, a lot of them created by their mom, who was for all her love and stuff like that, was just not a great manager. Uh, they like won over, like all all the odds were against them, ever succeeding. You know, they were blacklisted by the biggest circuit in vaudeville. They played the worst places. They had, you know, they they offended, you know, they they constantly offended the Keith Alby um, management team or whatever. And yet they succeeded against all these odds. They succeeded, you know, because they were so talented and so funny, and yeah. people liked them so much. And they were different comedy, too. You know, their comedy was unlike anything anyone else was seeing at that time because their comedy wasn't based in, in motivation. There was no part in the, in the show where someone, someone cheated on a girlfriend and another person took revenge in a funny way. Their comedy was just, you know, had no reason to. There's no anar- there's, there's, there's this anarchy to it. 
And it was so surprising to audiences that people would just be crazy. There was just, you know, just nuts on stage. There was just fun and running around and pretending to wrestle and, and, or seeing, actually seeing a beetle crawling across the stage and getting on the hands and knees and betting on whether, you know, who, whether, you know, how far it would go and who would win and stuff like that. You know, it's just, they just, you know, they just improvised. They had fun. They, and they were very popular. People were just, people like, really liked them. Cool. Uh, and so Chico saw this or Chico saw this and, uh, he decided that, um, Maybe he might want back in the act. And Minnie, of course, couldn't resist having all the kids, especially her beloved Leonard, who was her favorite child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can understand that because her first child died and her next child would be very important to her. Sure. And that would be Leonard. So he could do no wrong. So if Leonard wanted back, Leonard could come back. And uh, so Ch- uh, Chico, re- Chico joined his brothers and brought George Lee in as well. And George Lee was actually a very funny comedian and very, very big part, became a big part of their act as well. What, t- what character would he play in that? Uh, he would be... He would probably pay, he would probably play like oh well if they're doing school days he yeah. would have been the, the what they call the juvenile so he would have been the funny little kid okay kind of character that would have been his part in and it and Chico would be doing his Italian character Chico would okay. yeah he would because he, he was still doing Italian he just carried on yeah. with his Italian character and so they hadn't yeah and so everyone kind of took on their their own uh, thing and so now I will tell you there is a there is a legendary story that. Um, the Marx Brothers were, pl- the three Marx Brothers were playing in a theater and Chico snuck in to see them. He actually got Jack Benny to sneak him in and he sat down in the orchestra pit and they were forming and Harpo saw him sitting down there and he th- had an apple as part of the act and he threw it at Chico and Chico <laughs> caught it and he threw it back at the stage and Grocho caught it and they had this little back and forth with the apple throwing and stuff like that and that, and it was such, so much fun and the audience loved it so much that that's why Chico rejoined the group. That's not strictly true. It's not a true story, but it's a good story. So let's print the legend. All right. Not the reality that he just was not doing very well. Saw how well they were doing and said, hey, I should be part of this. Once uh, Chico once Chico joined the group, uh, Minnie lost some of her power as manager because Chico was such a such a uh, sharp, such a, you know, sharp guy and and such a, you know, go-getter and and wheeler dealer that he just took, kind of took over that element of, of the group. she couldn't say no to him because he was the charmer. She couldn't yeah. say no to him. And he was really very good at it. He was very good at it. He was the sort of person that people had a hard time saying no to. Uh, so, now, let's talk about their names. Because really, up to this point, they are still Julius, Leonard, Milton, Herbert, and Adolf, or Arthur. Right. But on May 14th, 1914... The brothers were playing poker with this uh, guy who was a cartoonist, monologist, whose name was Art Fisher. And they were kind of joking about this comic strip that was very popular in the papers called Nako the Monk. Now, Nako the Monk was a monkey, and all the characters in the strip had O names. So there was a detective character whose name was Sherlocko the Monk, <laughs> and like that. And they were kind of joking the, about the fact that it had sort of infected vaudeville, and there's all these characters out there who are O names. And so there, you know, there's, you know, Zippo and... Laffo and you know all this kind of stuff like that, and so you know, and so when Art Fisher started dealing as a joke, he started saying, you know, here's your card, Harpo, because Harpo played the harp yeah. as part of the act. Here's your card, Chico, because Chico chased the girls. Here's your card, Grocho, because Grocho either was a bit of a grouch or he had he still was a the pouch had the grouch bag, yeah, and Milton because they still even though they were pretty successful, you know they didn't throw money away so he had shoes with holes in them so he would wear gum shoes to cover up the holes so people wouldn't see that his shoes had holes and so gum shoes became gummo and 
they thought, oh, this is hilarious. Right. So the next night, they thought, this would be fun. Let's change your names on the bill to Grocho, Harpo, Chico, and G- Gummo. And, the, you know, Gummo Marks or, you know. And so they got the printer to do that. The printer knocked off the K out of, out of Chico's name. So it was supposed to be C-H-I-C-K-O, but it became C-I-C-H-I-C-O. And, uh, and once that happened, it, everything changed because they were no longer themselves. They became someone else. And I really like something that um, uh, this guy named Joe Adamson, who wrote a great book about the Marx Brothers called uh, Harpo, Groucho, Harpo, Chico, and sometimes Zeppo. Um, he said, he said when they, when they did that, Julius, Adolf, Leo, and Milton had become Groucho, Harpo, Chico, and Gummo, not just for their show business careers, but forever. They would never again be real people. They would always be myths. They would just be, you know, instead of being reality, they were comedy. They never, no one ever thought of them by their names again. Mm-hmm. You know, you never referred to Groucho Marx as Julius Marx. He was Groucho Marx. He was Groucho Marx until he died. He was Groucho Marx. When he died, he died as Groucho Marx. Yep. No one said, Julius Marx died, da, da, da. And it's interesting. And he's right. Like, even though these were just names that they, they took on, they, be, they inhabited them in such a way that they became these, these names. And their characters kind of filled those names. You know what I mean? Yeah, like there's in, power in names. Yeah. For sure. And so it's really interesting. Uh, Zeppo was not part of this. He wasn't even part of the act at this time. He was still at home. What was he named after? So Zeppo's name is... Riding on a Zeppelin? That's what was suggested, but the Gummo said, and I think this is probably the most true, because during World War One, um, during World War One, Minnie was very worried that the kids, that his, her boys would be drafted, because there were two drafts that occurred during, during World War One. Okay. So she had heard that if you were a farmer, you could get exemption. So they bought a farm outside of Chicago. And so they lived on this farm for a while. They were not farmers. But they pretended they were farmers. But they took great delight in pretending they were farmers and using s- southern accents and calling each other Zeke and Zeb <laughs> and stuff like that. And so Zeppo became Zepp. And when, when he joined the act, they took the Zepp and changed it to Zeppo. Interesting. That's what Gummo said. And I think that's probably the most likely story because Zeppelin doesn't really make any sense. Why would you name yourself after a piece of military hardware from, you know, or something that was well-known as a... You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really... Anyway, that's possible. It, either is possible. Um, By the way, I love that I just found out where the term gumshoe came from. Just out of you, uh, you mentioning that. Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> there you go. That's good. Um, so now at this time, vaudeville was kind of changing. And what was happening was there were these new shows that were coming out called ta- tabloid shows. And what they were, were there just a whole package show. So if you were a theater manager, you got a, a show, entirely packaged and it was just like all came to you at one time. It wasn't like a bunch of different acts arriving separately. It was all one show. Mm-hmm. And, be, and often it was a Broadway show that was truncated, that was shortened down. So you got some of the songs and some of the bits, but not the whole thing put into a, like a, a convenient time slot. And, and that was presented to you. And it would tour together? And would, it would just tour as a, as a thing. That's okay. right. Now, this was a, so there was a bunch of these traveling around. And this was, first, it was a threat to the Marx Brothers because it was going to cut in on their times, right? But then they had the idea, let's, because they were kind of, um, they were kind of, they were, they still had high school, but they kind of wanted to get past this. So, so what they did was they created a second act called, uh, Mr. Green's Reception. And the idea of it was, it was 10 years later and there was a reunion of these school kids. And so they, and so that was so, and so they did it in two parts. So they did it as a tabloid. So, so basically, then it was already part of their package. Like when you think of the Marx Brothers, you're thinking, oh, they were just running around on stage and stuff like that. But actually, the way that uh, 
um, fun in high school worked was that there were also there were also girls in the act, and so they had parts in the show as well. And then there was chorus girls as well, and so there were songs. There was the piano. There was Chico's Chico's piano part. Yeah, Harpo's harp part. Uh, Chico and Harpo's piano parts together. Uh, there'd be Julia singing, Groucho singing a song. There'd be other people singing. They had a dancing group. They had two dancers with them as well. So they had a bunch of different talents so they could present all these different parts during their act. And so they created this tabloid show where they had two different acts. And then they, they kind of rolled all of their bits and stuff into that. And so they could tour as a tabloid and just arrive at a theater with a complete show with chorus girls, dancers, singers, musicians, comedy, all in one, one show. And so that toured for, for quite a while. And then it was decided, um, I, uh, it was decided, I guess, I guess around 1914 that they would retire. They would finally, we're going to retire the high school portion of it because they were just too old. Like there's just no way that they could play. They were in their twenties. They couldn't play, yeah. uh, little kids anymore. So what they did was they actually got their, their uncle, Al Sheen, to write a whole new show for them. And so he wrote a show called, uh, Home Again. And so, and what actually happened during Home Again is he was concentrating on Harpo, or Groucho's character so much that he basically gave Harpo one line in the whole show. <laughs> and Harpo was like, Oh, I only got one line. Listen. And, and Al Sheen said to him, Honestly, Harpo, you're not that funny. Mm. Really, you shouldn't have any lines in the show. Mm. You bet, you bet, it would be better that way. And so Harpo's like, Okay, I'm going to have no lines in the show. I'm just going to start, I'll just become a silent character. And he realized that he actually got more laughs as a silent character than he did as a talking comedian as part of the act. And so he just started to, he started to teach himself magic and started to learn little tricks and stuff like that that he could do as part of his character. Yeah. Uh, and then it was in Toronto while they were doing Home Again that Groucho finally stopped doing a German character because it was, uh, it was, uh, during the, during the war and the Lusitania had just been bombed right. the, the, the week they were there in Toronto. And so there was a lot of anti-German feeling. Yeah. And so he just dropped the German character entirely and at first did it as a Yiddish character and then eventually just dropped that as well and just became an American character. And, the, you know, the, basically the Groucho that we know. So, uh, Zeppo had kind of had toured with them in the summertime when he was 14, just kind of joined the show for a while and did a little, little bits and pieces. But, uh, what happened was the brothers made it through the first draft without, without anyone getting drafted. They had the farm and they kind of, Minnie had a lot of connections and she kind of worked them. But there was a second draft, and she was she just knew that that it wasn't going to work. That someone had to get drafted. Yeah. So she took Gummo aside. Basically, she said to him, "Listen, you're the least important part of the act. <laughs> what I need you to do <laughs> is sacrifice yourself for your brothers." So whoever gets drafted, he's the one. No, well, he went and and volunteered. Oh, and so, it would work that way. Yeah. So what she did was she oh, she okay. arranged it so that if he volunteered, the others wouldn't get drafted. And so that's what he did. He he joined the army. Wow. Okay. And yeah, he joined the army. Luckily, she she knew a lot of people, so he didn't actually have to go overseas. All right. He worked as a he worked as a supply clerk or whatever in, in the base in, in near Chicago. But uh, she, yeah. So but once he was done with the army, he never he was done with the act as well. He never enjoyed it. 
he never enjoyed being a Marx brother. Mm-hmm. And so when the opportunity came that he could not, not return to it, he did not return to it. Could it also have been that he was told he was the least important part of the act and that's a bit of I don't a think he, the no, pants? He had no problem with that. He, that he, he said? He admitted. He said, I was, yeah, I was the least interesting part of the Marx brothers. Yeah, okay. And I, you know, and it was good that I left. Okay. And that's why he left. He just, he didn't like it. He didn't, you know, he didn't particularly enjoy the comedy part of it. He didn't enjoy the singing part of it. He didn't like it. So Did he drop the gummo name? No, he kept being gummo. <laughs> that just seems like a strange thing. Like, I don't want, I don't want to be part of the act. Okay. But mm-hmm. I'm going to keep my wacky comedy name, you know, my clown name. Yeah. It's a nickname. I'll, I'll still but it's be, a nickname. Uh, yeah. I don't want, I don't want to be part of showbiz, mm-hmm. but I'm going to call myself Bozo for the rest of my life. Sure. That's a, a sure, sure. an odd thing. Okay. But it's, it wasn't a clown name. It's a joke name. It's but it's a joke name. But it's a nickname. And nicknames mm. are joke names as well. Okay, it's a nickname, but when all your brothers also have similar names yeah. and all their names are joke names. Yeah. Uh then it's a joke then it is a joke name. You know, but it, But I mean they're 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 joke names, but they're also nicknames are also their names. They're their nicknames are not you know, nicknames can be jokey names. Yeah. You can be a very slow person and everyone your friends call you speedy. Right, but that's not where this came from. It came from, as you said, a poker night where they were talking about, hey, you know, in uh, vaudeville, people yeah. are coming up with these names now. Yeah. And then jokey, 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 we're yeah, going yeah. to make these our vaudeville names. Yeah. So it was his vaud. He kept his vaudeville name. So, mm. you know, it, it, yeah, it, no, that's interesting to me. Well, they weren't, they weren't meant as vaudeville names. They made them into vaudeville names. Mm-hmm. Like when Art Fisher christened them, he wasn't suggesting that they're going to go out and call themselves those names right he just said he just started calling them as he was giving out the cards yeah. he just started making up his own I got it, but the reason names. they yeah. did it was because they like vaudeville so were coming up with names like that oh no 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 that's no. what you said yeah 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 but it wasn't they weren't doing it to be more popular or anything okay that's not why they did it like they didn't need to do it they didn't need to do it by this time they were they were more than successful they just they just uh they just liked the idea of uh they just thought it was funny all right they thought it was a good gag so they went along with the gag and they took it to <laughs> took it to its ultimate conclusion. All right. They became. It the name. doesn't feel like we're arguing, even though it seems like we are. Well, I don't want to. Th- <laughs> I just want to give the impression to you or to listeners that they were trying to cash in on a, on a, on a popular trend. In, well, they in, were comedians. Yeah. And they thought that the names were funny, mm-hmm. and so they used them. Yeah. And the audience agreed they were funny, mm-hmm. and they kept using them. That seems to be right. I so don't, you're saying no, I don't like, think, but no, they just no, no, were no. using them because you know they, it's a thing to do. The, but yeah, but it was also it also worked perfectly with mm-hmm. the careers that they wanted. Sure, but they didn't call themselves that, uh, that on stage. Like they never referred to themselves as Groucho, nope. Harpo, Chico, and Zeppo nope, on just stage. Just in the credits. Just in, just on the credits. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't and as, like, you, as you said, that changed everything for them. It did change everything because, but but their names weren't part of the act. like i'm just saying i don't want to give the impression that they were trying to cash in on a trend mm-hmm. by using those names they didn't use the names on stage mm-hmm. they didn't come out on stage as as uh as they Laffo. thought they would be funny in the credits they thought yeah that would be a, yeah. a funny thing to do All right. yeah but they weren't like like i say this was 1914 they were already touring a successful tabloid mm-hmm. show they had a big act they were you know had a, a cast of you know 20 people that they were touring around with like they were a pretty big concern. Sure. They didn't need to, to add to their... No, I'm not saying they did a radical uh, change, yeah. you know, for whatever reasons. I just feel like, yeah, this is what you do as a comedian is, yeah. hey, you know what's a little funny? This. Mm. Let's change it a little bit to make it this. It's not a radical, we're yeah. going to change it all. Sure. It's just, yeah. And then, oh, that really took off. Well, let's keep that. Yeah. That's just, that is how jokes work mm-hmm. and that's how showbiz works you make a small yeah. change on stage oh i walk in on my right foot it gets a bigger laugh than my left foot yeah you weren't going i'm gonna change it all tonight yeah you just go now you're just doing it and it feels like that's what you were saying with sure. uh, with the names yeah i mean the name didn't really take off but yeah 
I just mean, I mean, over time, yes, they inhabited those characters because people, as they got more and more famous, they were introduced to the public as Groucho, Harpo, and Chico and stuff. But yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to give people the idea that they were that they were um, trying to cash in or that. You know. I think you're worried about something I don't think is an issue okay. at all. Okay. Yeah. I think all it's right. a cashew. It's a it's a funny thing, and so a comedian wanting to make something a little funnier—that's what comedians do. So, Home Again was an amazing success for the Marx Brothers. They toured it for years and years. They took one little break. They did a, a really unsuccessful Broadway style musical called The Cinderella Girl. Uh, that even though it had like talented people involved with it, Joe Swirling, who would uh, write the book for Guys and Dolls, Gus Kahn, who was a lyricist for uh, lots of lots of great songs. Um, but uh, it just never. Maybe they didn't have enough time to work on the script. Or, but but most uh, the most damning part of it was they were trying to perform it in the midst of the Spanish influenza. Ooh. So theaters were closing for that. You know, or if the theater was open, people had to sit, you know, like three seats apart from each other. Yeah. In different and not ha- and you couldn't inhabit uh, rows between people. So yeah, it was everything was. I probably a lot of coughing, which is not a great <laughs> thing for comedy. Well, if there was coughing, I would leave. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So um, so now then the Marx Brothers, uh, they started a different show, which was called on the on the mezzanine, and then they took that show to to um England, and they called it on the balcony there. They toured that for a while there, and when they were doing on the mezzanine, though, they had worked their way up finally with Home Again and on the mezzanine. They'd finally worked their way into the Keith Keith circuit. They were doing big shows. They weren't doing a show, you know, three shows a day. They weren't doing split time. They were just, they were a big act. But then when they went to England, LB, the guy who was manager of the, of the Keith circuit, felt that they had reneged on their contract. And so he blacklisted them again from, and so rather than try to make amends or whatever, they threw in their lot with, uh, a whole, a brand new circuit that had developed called the Schubert circuit. And so they took a new show on that called 20th Century Review and it was a disaster. Because the, the, it wasn't a big circuit. It wasn't well developed. It didn't have promotion. And they were just bleeding money. They were basically paying everyone in the cast except for themselves to do the show. And they just, they, they went, they did the whole run as they were supposed to. They did all their, all their shows. But when it was done, that was the end. They were basically broke. They were unemployable. And they, uh, their careers were kind of over. And what happened was, is they chanced upon a guy who was a kind of a, he was a salt magnet. He had a lot of money. Not that he was a magnet, but a magnate. I got you. For salt. No, I didn't think so. Salt's not magnetic, so <laughs> that wouldn't right. make any sense. All right. <laughs> but you know he, what, Dave? Yeah. That was a very chico thing. <laughs> and he uh, <laughs> he funded the show, yeah. and it was called I'll Say She Is. And basically, it was kind of like a greatest hits, a bunch of stuff. They just put a bunch of stuff together into the show, songs and bits and things that everyone loved, and they opened kind of kind of on broadway in a, in a theater that was not so great but uh was okay and they started performing there and the shows were doing okay they're getting audiences that like them yeah you know who knew the marx brothers from seeing them in vaudeville and stuff like that were coming but they weren't really selling out and they weren't really doing big business but what happened was five of the biggest theater critics in new york went to a to an opening night for a play to discover that it was canceled it was not going to open for another week and they didn't know what to do. But here this show is playing. I'll say she is. And all five of them said to each other, well, we might as well go see this because we have nothing to do. Yeah. So they went there. It was uh, Alexander Wolcott was one of them. Haywood Brown, another one. Um, oh, I can't remember his name now. He 
uh, was, hmm, darn it. I can't think of his name. Sorry. He was a famous playwright and I wish I could, or not playwright, famous, uh, reviewer. He, he, he co, co ran a magazine with H.L. Mencken called, called The Smart Set. And he wrote these, uh, great reviews of, of plays. And, and he was, anyway, all, so five of these guys go and they had never seen the Marx Brothers before. They were all, they were too good for vaudeville. They were, they were, they were Broadway guys. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they come to the show with these crazy comedians who are running around, putting their knees in people's hands. You know, doing the Napoleon sketch, doing this, you know, these, uh, playing the piano and shooting the keys and playing the harp and, you know, and, but, but also like, you know, Harpo's harp bit was always like, he would like trip over the harp. He'd almost knock it over. He would, you know, and then he'd sit down and he'd like pretend he couldn't play. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly he'd just start playing the most beautiful stuff. You know, they're just blown away by this. And so they just, so the next day, rave reviews come out about the show from five of the biggest. <laughs> you know broadway reviewers and suddenly the show is a massive hit and it just turns around and it turns around their careers and it was from there from i'll say she is that they got to do the coconuts because sam harris who was one of the biggest right but the biggest uh, producers on broadway had worked with george m cohan for years uh wanted to work with them and so then he brought in george s kaufman who was one of the biggest playwrights on broadway and kaufman wrote the coconuts for the marx brothers with the help of Maury Riskind, who didn't take credit for this, for the, because he didn't feel like he contributed enough to get a credit for the Broadway show, but he took credit on the on the movie because he did the adaptation for screen. But uh, where did the coconuts uh, start? Where, where where did it start? Yeah, where did it start? Was it on Broadway? It was on Broadway. That's okay. right. Yeah, it was a Broadway Broadway play, and it was very successful. Very successful play. They did it for three years on Broadway, um, and then it was made into a movie, and that's what we saw. So let's talk about the movie. Hope okay. people aren't bored by that long. But I think it's kind of interesting the fact that when the Marx Brothers uh, start to do um, start to do um, the coconuts, they're old. How like, old are they? Um, and me, what uh, what uh, part of their lives are they? Twenties, thirties? What are they? Let me tell you. All right, please do. Let me tell you because I wrote it down. Where did I write it down <laughs> here, though? Sorry. And we can't find it. You know why? Because we're also old, and that's how that goes. So when this film was made, Grocha was thirty-eight, mm. Harper was forty, and Chico was 42. And if Groucho was 38, then uh, Zeppo would have been maybe 28. Okay. So he was the youngest, obviously, by quite a bit. But that's pretty old. Like, when you think that's the start of your film career, you're already in your 40s. And now you're going to start a film career. Especially back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anytime, really. But especially back then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I have, some, I have some notes about the coconuts, but I'd rather just talk about the movie for a bit because I've been talking forever. All right. Sure. Uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was definitely interesting Oops. to see. Uh, just the, the print that, that you gave me that was on the DVD. The only print we have. Right. You were saying that some, some parts of it were lost and that's, seems to be the case because some parts are very crisp. Mm-hmm. Some parts are very, uh, yeah. not, not as crisp. Yeah. Um, w- watching it, it did have, like, I, I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did have that feeling of, uh, a filmed, uh, play. To some degree. Yes. And that's also the way that I think things were shot back then. There's not a lot. There's not like a cut to a close-up establishing. Yeah. It's lock on. Two people are doing a bit. We're just going to let it play out until the end of the bit, which, you know, has its benefits and has its, uh, you know, has its problems as well. Well, the biggest problem for, for like, so when uh, the play was a huge hit, so of course people were interested in it. In, in 1928, United Artists wanted to wanted to make a, a movie of it but if they if it had have happened then it would have been a mostly silent film with some speaking in it mm-hmm. so it was better that it took a while for them 
and it's it's an interesting story where um this guy named uh Walter Wanger who was a uh, or Walter Wanger who was mm. a executive at um Paramount. I would go with the Walter Wanger if I was uh, I think if he, I was him. Well, I think he was German. Mm-hmm. Um he he um was really interested in in uh get you know having the Marx brothers come to Paramount and right. doing the the coconuts. And so he was going to offer them 75,000 and he t- and and so he went to Adel Zucker, who was the head of Paramount, and said, "I can get the Marx Brothers, you know, the, this movie, they're uh, seventy-five thousand dollars." And Zucker was like, "That's too much. Like, that, they're not that great, you know." And he's like, "And so Wenger's like, okay, well, we got I've, somehow I've got to convince." So he brought in Chico. So Chico in one story, Zeppo in the other story. So I'm not, but I'm gonna go with Chico because I think this sounds more like Chico okay. to me. So Chico comes in, starts telling. Uh, Al Zucker, what a great man he is, what a great producer he is, that loves his work and stuff like that. Then starts telling me that he's going to get not just the Marx Brothers for this money, but for a mere $100,000, <laughs> he is going to get the the full extent of their careers in, in vaudeville. They're not just getting this one play. He's getting all of their experiences and all of their material, yeah. you know. And meanwhile, Wenger's sitting there going, he's raised it by $25,000. <laughs> and Zucker went for it. So he bought, he, you know... So he signed the Marx Brothers for a, I guess it was a five-picture deal. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's an old artist thing where it's the uh, it's the artist. Uh, you know, the person goes, "I want to hire you to draw uh, 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 some flowers for my wife." Like, all right, and he draws some flowers, and it takes him like ten minutes and hands it over. It's like, how much yeah. will that be? And that'll be uh, five hundred dollars. Like five hundred dollars. It only took you ten minutes. Yeah, but you're paying for the time it took me to learn how to draw the flowers <laughs> right. in ten minutes. Yeah. So yeah. that's 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 what you're getting there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting. Like, like the film, the fi- the film itself. It, like, okay, generally, I will say uh, that uh, I really like the Marx Brothers in it. Yeah, anything that's not the Marx Brothers it's, is a who is cares? A, is is a real trial? Who cares? Yeah. Like, I understand it's it's smart though because mm-hmm. you open the movie with you know it's the images of people dancing. And yeah, like, yeah, all right, people are having a good time. Yeah, that's fine. That's or fine. sitting around. There's a lot of sitting around. Well, first of all, the credits of are over like a dance. Oh, that's number, right. right. That's right. Yeah. So you get that, and you're like, all right, people are dancing, have a good mm-hmm. time. And but you're saying there's people sitting ad- sitting around, but it's who's sitting around, mm. and it's all sexy ladies. Sure. Like it's just. Ladies, 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 ladies. Yes. For a long time. Yeah. So, you know, if you're the gentleman who's coming to see the show, uh, you're like, hmm, yeah, all right. I'm in a good mood. I'm, I'm all for this. Here we go. Yeah. And then you finally get to be introduced to Groucho and, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's good. Yeah. Again, everything Marx Brothers in it is, is, uh, solid to me. Two, two things about, uh, two things about what you're saying there is one is when I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, when did, our taste in, in women's beauty changed to to where I find women attractive because I'm watching that I'm like none of these women are attractive to me but mm. obviously at that time these were these were the best looking women or you know or really good looking women you know but at some point suddenly we're like Claudette Colbert and um who else name other people name other people from that time <laughs> come on help me out here Claudette Colbert, Mary Pickford. I don't. I don't know. No, Mary Pickford's earlier than that. I don't. Okay. Think she's much earlier than that. No, no. Like, um, I really can't uh, help you on that. I'm sorry. Oh, why can't I think of any other actresses besides Claudette Colbert now? My my brain is uh, Barbara Stanwyck. Okay. Um, what's the name of that? Uh, geez, she's in all those. I want to go like Greta and, Garbo and stuff, but you know, Greta Garbo. Sure. Like at some point where like like the the idea of female beauty changed, mm-hmm. so it's more modern. 
I don't want sometime in the thirties, obviously, but I don't know. Like, a, well, it's also you know, what do you want from beauty? Do you want relatable, or do you want do you want accessible, or do you want uh, something like godlike that you're like, oh, you know, you could never achieve this. But, or is it or is it yeah. sexier than to have you know someone who like ah, you know what, I might have a chance there. All right, yeah. I can see myself with so and so, but you never see yourself with like whoa. But Jean Jean uh, Jean Arthur, who I was trying to think yeah. of, she she uh, isn't someone that you'd. Go, oh, she's a, what an ice queen. She's someone who's so unapproachable. You know, her beauty is of a, of a kind of down home yeah. sort, you know? But look at the fellas as well. I mean, Zeppo is a, is a good looking fellow. He's like, a good looking guy. He's yeah. like, he's technically, uh, got a good mug on him, easy yeah. on the peepers. But the, uh, the, the women off the top that are hanging around with lifeguards. Yeah. And you're like, the lifeguards are the sexy lifeguards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, today they would not be considered no, the no. attractive man. Yeah. But they're the barrel chested guy. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of, they got a lot up top a lot of going beef. on. Maybe a they got a bit of a belly, yeah. but it doesn't matter because yeah. they got a lot up top, and yeah. it's uh, yeah. you know not a good face. But who cares? And <laughs> I don't want to judge people in the past. I know I don't like try to judge. I just find it. I find but it yeah, interesting the the idea it. of like what's attractive and what's mm-hmm. not. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. It is a it is a different situation. It's interesting. I thought I thought the women off the top were were quite were quite attractive. Okay. Um, but you... yeah, once you uh, once you get uh, into the Groucho character, then we're uh, then we're off to the races. Like I love. The uh, the staff want okay. It takes place in a hotel. Yeah, it's a hotel in Florida. Yeah, uh, so you know everyone's everything's vacationing, and one of the first kind of riffs, comedy riffs that you're getting is uh, the staff want to be paid, and Groucho cons them into not being paid, mm. gives them a motivational speech, which again, like in the film, it works and lets you know who Groucho is and yeah. what you need. Uh, but I could see how it would work fantastically in 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 the theater. Yeah, like there's a lot of stuff that I see that I'm like, oh, this would be amazing you know if to see live yeah but you know and the other problem the other problem is uh because the jokes are timed for laughter yeah that you get in the theater yeah or in a in an alive uh movie theater yeah uh when you're watching it there's a lot of silence there's mm. a lot of like pauses yeah and waiting and awkwardness and it plays it plays way differently on a television but then no one was writing it for a television back then yeah yeah no you're right and that's the same with silent films too you can watch a charlie chaplin or buster keaton film and there's timed gag so there's time left between gags for for the laughter to, mm-hmm. to come down a little bit i mean even in, in later marx brothers movies you'll see those things where uh groucho will do a joke it won't be the greatest joke he'll wait a beat and just go they can't all be gems yeah because yeah. he knows that that's you know they even planned for planned for that yeah well, yeah well i mean but that's when, part when of the characters action. are doing like groucho does his scene which is a very funny scene of like you know you don't have to be paid i wouldn't i i respect you too much to be paid um and and then wage slaves yeah and afterward yeah what are you wage slaves i don't want to make that uh but then they do a little dance number that mm. is not an impressive dance number at all no yeah they're just like well this is this is some good filler here <laughs> and we're moving along yeah it's and strange, but that was the movie was sold as all talking all singing all dancing sure and and the movie changed the 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 focus of the play as well the the st- stage play is about the marx brothers the movie is about oscar shaw and mary eaton the the two the lovers yeah and it's not it's not interesting yeah it's not an interesting part of it they're the cake like, marx brothers are the frosting and you wish the marx brothers yeah. were the cake well i did what i didn't get was you see zeppo yeah and uh, zeppo's whole thing is uh that he's uh he's, he's sleepy and lazy he's a lazy guy yeah. which you know all right that's that's an angle and he's working for he's working for groucho and yeah. just wants to nap i'm like well why aren't you using zeppo as the romantic lead because he's the he's more handsome than your romantic lead, mm. but he's just this guy who's 
does nothing really. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, he's sleepy. We're going to have a joke about sleeping or something later. Nope, you never get that. And like, well, what are you doing with Zeppo, brother? Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, get, get him in on it. Zeppo's character really gets short shrift in the film. I yeah. think he had more, more, more to do in the stage, but not much more. Gummo didn't, because he wasn't that interested in doing that much. So he didn't really get that much to do on this, in, in, yeah. on this, in the stage shows. And when Zeppo took over his parts and Gummo was basically, he was also kind of the romantic lead. In, and that's what that's what Zeppo took over in when in the stage shows. Right, they would do like a a featured dance section with he and a girl would do a very very elaborate very very Makes fancy sense, dance yeah. and stuff like that. Um, but it's interesting. Okay, I forgot to mention that uh, Sam Harris also brought in uh, Irving Berlin to do the music for the film. And Irving Berlin, that's you a could name do worse for sure. Yeah, but obviously he was not trying hard for this movie. We don't get a lot that monkey doodle do or whatever it's called is. Blech. Yeah, monkey. I forget what it is. Monkey run, monkey or monkey yeah, dance, monkey some nonsense. Yeah, it, I think that is the one big flaw, though, to me is that you know you have a very handsome character that's one of your four Marx brothers. You're selling it as the Marx brothers movie, and then you've put the focus onto you know another couple who I just don't care about. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you'd like made that guy Zeppo, well, now we've got a Marx brothers involved in yeah. that. But yeah. You know, I'm not casting the movie. You know, it's just all right. You sing your song and do your bit, and uh, mm-hmm. who who cares, frankly, about uh, about your romance? Well, that's uh, the thing. Like when Kaufman, I feel like an eight year old boy going get get away from the kissing and get to the funny. When Kaufman finally agreed to to write the coconuts, he, he didn't want to. It was Harris who convinced him to, to do it, and he didn't want to do it at all because uh, he knew that the Marx Brothers were infamous for changing lines, and he couldn't stand the idea of people improvising his material, and so. What, but what he knew was it was important to have the Marxes on stage and in front of the audience as much as possible and have as little plot as possible. That was the goal of when he wrote it. And so I think the movie kind of changes that, you know, changes what he was trying to do. And, uh, but one thing that was interesting was doing, working on the, working on the play with the Marx brothers. Uh, he actually, he actually liked the improv, he actually liked the improvised lines that, uh, Groucho provided. He actually thought they improved the script in lots of ways. And he said an interesting thing much later. He said, uh, of doing the, uh, working on the play, he said, Maury Riskin and I once learned a great lesson in the writing of stage comedy. We learned it from the Marx Brothers. Looking back, it seems incredible that this was something we had not known before, but we hadn't. We learned that when an audience does not laugh at a line at which they are supposed to laugh, then the thing to do was to take out that line <laughs> and get a funnier line. <laughs> I'm going to say, I anyway. think that's a difference between... Uh, a writer and a performer is the writer will think a line is good mm-hmm. and will constantly be fighting for their line and go, it's genius. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, and the performer will have done a line, see it doesn't work and will not want to say that line again the next day. So mm-hmm. they will, they will change it. So yeah, I think they got like a performing mentality into it, which, uh, yeah, it makes, well, all, makes sure. all the difference instead of going, no, it's good. We should keep it regardless. Yeah. It's like, no, you wouldn't do that if you're the one who has to take the bullet on stage. For that, for that thing, just like dying and hearing the silence. Yeah. Uh, and Groucho later referred to the audience as a writer. Sure. He felt the audience wrote the script for you because they're the ones who chose what was funny. And so, you know, you keep what they laughed at and you threw it what they didn't. And over time, you developed a, you know, a better and better, you know, vehicle or routine or whatever. And, uh, you know, by the time it came back around, the audience who saw it six months before, now they're seeing something that's much better than, than the, f- the first time they saw it. It's, a, you know, it improved. And the Marx Brothers had no problem. They they were you know they 
when they got bored of lines, the lines left, even if they were still funny mm-hmm. and still getting laughs. If they were tired of saying them, they, they left the act. Yeah, it must have been frustrating like later. And again, I heard what their reaction was to the movie, so we won't spoil that till we get to it. But like, I could see how watching the movie later, mm. you'd go, nah, I know a better line now. Like, it would yeah. be frustrating because you're all, if you're constantly evolving mm. the script, like sure. locking it down at one point and going, this is it frozen in time forever. That must that must be a bit hard if yeah. that's uh, if that's what you if that's what you're doing. There were some scenes where you could tell with Groucho because it they went on so long that he didn't quite nail a part of it. Yeah, like it's just like there's not a stammer, but like you could tell that the, there's a pause that was a little too long mm. or whatnot, or there's a little mm, little something. And uh, if this was like a movie in modern times, they'd fix it with an edit yeah. or, or yeah. have enough coverage. But it would just it just felt like well. That's good enough. There was a couple of scenes that were mm-hmm. like that. That was like, that's fine. Which gave it a bit, again, of a stage feeling. Yeah. It was like, well, there's a flaw there, but we're just going to move on and, 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 and keep going. But, I mean, that's that's the fault of the director, the main director. There was two directors for the film. There was a, uh, a French guy named Robert Flory who, mm-hmm. who directed the film. And then there's another guy named Joe Santley who basically his job is to choreograph and direct the dancing and stuff like that. It seems inconceivable to me. Like there's a scene, well, the scene in the opening of the movie where he's Groucho's talking to the to the uh, bellhops and says and says, uh, "Girls, uh, boys, like yeah. start again, <laughs> start again." Well, or the scene later in the film where where Chico comes to rescue uh, Bob from the yeah. from jail, and he's obviously forgotten his line, and the Oscar Shaw, the actor, is having to feed Chico his lines, uh, you know, and he finally says, "You mean." So and so is being forced to marry. He hasn't said anything like that, but he just yeah. You know. That's the, that's the, that's a stage thing. Well, there's two things that could be going on there. One is because the scenes are so long and they aren't modern scenes, which is close up established, yeah. close up established. Yeah. You you don't know what was the best take, like a best scene. Like it could be there's a flaw there, but he really nails it at the end. It builds. This is by far the funniest that we got all day. Or two, film was expensive. Very expensive. And if you're shooting, you know, are we going to shoot? How many Possible. more, more yeah. takes are we going to yeah. do on this? For also, sure. you're burning daylight. Yeah. What are we, uh, do we want to take how long to shoot this, this bit again? Yeah. yeah. You know, so you go like, good enough, move on. Yeah, that's possible too, because he was requested to film it as quickly and as cheaply yeah. as possible. So, because they, you know, they, we don't know anymore. I mean, film is digital now where it's like, take as many, you know, take as long as you want and shoot as much as you want was not the case back in the day by any means. I think besides the Marx Brothers, I think there is another star of the film. Oh, well, Dumont. Margaret Dumont. Yeah. She's amazing. She is an ama- amazing in, in the film. Yeah. She does a, I mean, she does an amazing job playing that character. Yeah. Because what's interesting about Margaret Dumont is you see her in, in that role and you let, you're like, that is who she is. She <laughs> is this matronly, you know, society lady. And that's who, but she actually started, like, she was born, Daisy Juliet Baker was her real name. And she was born in Brooklyn, New York. Like, she wasn't born in high society. She, she worked under the stage name of Daisy Dumont as a chorus girl and as a, as a comedian. Like, for for many years and then uh, she she in 1910 she married this guy named john moeller jr who was a um uh he was like a playboy son of a, f- a family who had made a fortune in the sugar refining business so his dad john moeller senior uh basically ran the business and gave his son uh an allowance so he didn't just so he could just be just do nothing you know and so basically just kind of made his son into uh, a gentleman of leisure. A gentleman of leisure, yeah. And uh, and then in 1917, his father, who was 80 years old, married a, a, an actress. <laughs> and 
immediately the allowance was cut off. <laughs> okay. And so he he sued his father uh, for support, asking for an allowance and a payment of $63,000. Sure. And then before the case could go to trial, he died at Christmas Eve from the Spanish flu. Oh, okay. And so Dumont, you know, there's no money for her then. Sorry, everyone. Well, they heard you say Spanish flu, and so the ambulance <laughs> was uh, dispatched. Uh, Dumont was forced to go back to work, uh, and so she she cha- then she became Margaret Dumont and sort of changed her character. Yeah, and then uh, yeah. And so of course, did she, she do the character uh, of the uh, in the Coconuts on Broadway? Yes, she was the only. She was a she was uh, a Sam Harris Sam Harris discovery. He's the one who hired her for the part for the role, and uh, yeah, she's the only non she, non Marks who. Is in the film who was she in the is uh, and she, and she did how many more movies with him about seven eight something like that as many as they could get right she is bulletproof in this she is mm-hmm. bulletproof like yeah. you see Groucho just coming at her from every angle <laughs> and you're like waiting for just that little break like we're just that little there is smile a break. there is a break oh is there I didn't yeah. notice it yeah uh, it it was remarkable to me it, like she she's yeah she's my hero in the in this movie she was <laughs> she was amazing yeah because um, without that. The Groucho thing doesn't work. Oh, you're right. Yeah, you need he's, you need her he's to throwing be... a ball against a wall, and yeah. that ball has to be uh, sorry, that wall has to be rock hard yeah. for it to bounce back sharply at him, so he can throw it again. And she is that wall. She's perfect for that. Um, in the end of the at the end of the courting scene, I'll give her that name, where he's you know trying to uh, trying to you know uh, make love make love to her. Yeah. Um, you know, while throwing insults at her and the rest of it and wanting to, wanting to wrestle with her and things. At the very end of it, he says, um, he improvises a line and he says, um, you wear a tie, so I know it's you. <laughs> and you see, she smiles. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just before the cam- before the cut, she she starts to smile. So they obviously had to cut it there because okay. she was just about to lose it. Well, if you got to improvise a line, improvise it at the end so that we can still use the take. Well done, Groucho. Well done, uh, uh, Dumont. So the the French director was hired to do the film Robert Flory, who I said, as I said, was hired. What was interesting about him was that he he was a pretty pretty new new director. He had worked as an assistant for quite a while. He had done this interesting film that cost uh, it cost ninety three dollars. Uh, he filmed it with this guy named Slavko Vorkapich, who's quite famous for creating this uh, the Vorkapich. Um, montage in Hollywood, and also Greg Toland, who did the cinematography for. What's the Vorkovich montage? It's the kind where it spins and you have you get that kind of blur effect. Okay. And then, um, and then uh, Greg Toland, who did the cinematography for Citizen Kane, for mm-hmm. instance, he's very great. They made this film called uh, the it's called The Life and Death of Nine Four One Three, a Hollywood Extra, <laughs> and they just it was like a short film, and they made it for ninety three dollars, and it was yeah. kind of like it was, it was you know it's kind of like the the kind of popular thing for a while like everyone wanted to see it because it was they made it for 93 dollars you know sure and the uh, robert rodriguez of their day the problem for him was he did not think the marx brothers were funny hmm. he could get harpo because he's french and he understands mime and so he, he could appreciate that but he did not find and i guess because it was second language sort of issues he didn't couldn't couldn't see the humor in all the wordplay did he see them perform live don't know see this is my this is my thing on that is like a lot of times when you're doing a movie uh, you can't have the conflict where, like, that isn't funny. Well, this isn't funny. But if you've been on Broadway for three years and doing it, you can legitimately go, this got a huge laugh every night. Yeah. With a wide variety of audiences, over a three, we've had so many test audiences for this that I know this works. Mm-hmm. And that should be the end of that argument. The other thing is um, this film was ve- obviously very early on in, in sound, sound mm-hmm. movies. Like, so the 
jazz singer, 1927. Sure. Which only featured one song in it. The rest of the film was silent. And that's mostly how it worked. Most films had sound elements, and were, but were also silent. The uh, Coconuts took a big risk by having a fully full sound movie. Well, you with couldn't all do the, Groucho any other way. And so the problem was, there's lots of different problems. One was overly sensitive microphones. So mm. because you couldn't, you could have like lavaliers that you wore on your collar, you know, with a radio control in the back, in your, your back pocket that's hidden behind your shirt or whatever, or you're not allowed to turn around during that part of the scene until they can move it to your front part of you. And then a boom mic over. They didn't have those sort of things. They had like one mic sitting on a table behind a, uh, behind a, you know, a rose plant or something sure, like that. Sure. Yeah. Turned up to maximum. That's why the movies are so noisy. You get that shh sound all the time because it's just picking up everything in the room. Yeah. So the cameras had to be inside boxes. They're inside soundproof boxes. Mm. They were also airtight. So the camera operator couldn't be in there for very long. <laughs> otherwise, they would asphyxiate. And all they could see was through a little window in the front of the box. So they couldn't really move the camera. That's why you don't get a lot of panning scenes yeah. and stuff. That's why you have, that's why it off, feels like yeah. a play because everything yeah, is locked off. Um, now the other, so, like, if, I don't know if you noticed in the film, but all the paper in the movie is wet. So when, like, Groucho's holding, like, the blueprints during the famous viaduct yeah. uh, sequence with Tickle, it's just, it's just drooping all over the place. Why is that? Because it would crinkle and basically make a huge noise if it was dry. Hmm. So they had to wet it so that it didn't make this infernal racket of crinkling and uncrinkling because there's no way they could separate that noise from the talking. It's just as not loud, oh, if okay. not worse. All right. The other problem was... <laughs> The other problem was cutting between cameras because everything was done live. You had an orchestra behind the camera playing right. the music for the film. So if you're, when you're editing, you couldn't edit for sound. So what you had to do is you, they had, they had five to seven cameras set up all filming at the same time so that you could cut between cameras and still have the soundtrack because they were all picking up the same soundtrack right. because you didn't have a separate soundtrack on, on a, on, you know, on beside the, beside the sound part of the, the image. So there was some, there were some problems. The other problems were, um, were of course, equipment malfunctions because all this stuff was new. Everything kept breaking down. The crew laughing during takes mm. because the Marx Brothers couldn't help themselves. They would constantly improvise and, and right. goof around. And also the cameramen becoming fixated on one person. So let's say they're, they're, say they're filming Groucho and they become so interested in what he's doing that they forget that they have to pan over to Harpo. And, you know, so there was all these problems like that. And then... A lot of takes were spoiled by improv- improvisation. So one example of an improvised scene in the movie is when uh, Groucho is calling for for front. He's calling for a bellhop to come. And he's going front, front, yep. front. And they're still going here, boy, here, boy. And then he goes down on his hands and knees and yep. starts calling around. The first take, he disappears from sight, and the cameraman has no idea where he went. But if you watch the movie, you can see that the cameraman's anticipating him going because he actually starts to move the camera before Groucho, ah, okay. Groucho goes down. Because once again, it's not very well. It's not really well rehearsed but they have a kind of idea what's going to happen then but yeah there's a lot of problems like that it does throw off the timing i got one thing i did like uh was was how everyone was introduced like groucho was introduced in a good scene that was very groucho like yeah and then when uh chico and harpo enter it's just great business great business they're doing together yeah and they all bounce off each other Mm -hmm. perfectly Mm -hmm. you know and 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 it doesn't necessarily it, it it it, it might not work because Groucho is chaos yeah. and Harpo is chaos. Yeah. But they have to be different types of chaos. Mm-hmm. So what you have to then get is 
Groucho interested in what's this? Yeah. I'm going to see what happens yeah, with this yeah. weird dog that's running around. <laughs> I'm going to comment on it, yeah. but I'm going to let the dog do the stuff the dog's going to do because this is just this is just interesting. And it's an appreciation of of both of them and you know, uh he might do a mean joke, but you can tell that they all they all kind of like each other. Yeah. You know, it's nice. You know, it's not it's not it's not mean spirited. Mm-hmm. The 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 one thing that's a strange thing for me just uh, the 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 writer in me is it's a uh, it's a it's a bit of a heist movie, yeah. you know. It's uh, there's okay the, there's a there's a romance yes. Uh, but the Margaret uh, Dumont uh, character, Mrs. Potter, yeah. uh, doesn't want her daughter to marry the person that she 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 loves. Who's a, she, just a desk? This is a hotel clerk. Yeah. yeah, she wants him to she wants her to marry this this other person, but the yeah. other person uh, is a criminal yeah. and wants to steal her necklace yeah. and is in on that with uh, his uh, mall. Yeah, you know they want to do that. Okay, so he's a criminal that wants to steal. I know she's a mall. It just seems like she's just kind of a troublemaker. Trouble. All right, yeah. but she wants to help steal the necklace. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So she's a female who's interested in helping with crime. Mm-hmm. So uh, so okay, so they're criminals. But when you first meet Harpo and Chico, they're like robbing everybody. They're stealing their <laughs> wallets. So they're criminals too. Yeah, yeah. So we should, so wait a second. These guys are criminals. Yeah. They'll steal your wallet, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't steal the necklace, which is like the, the person who steals the necklace is evil and bad. But, but how, do we, and how do we know was, they're stealing wallets? Because they steal their wallets. They, 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 you know, the per- they, they pat the person down, they grab their yeah. wallet, they pick their pockets, yeah. and the person leaves, and then they show that they've got oh, their stuff. Oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're stealing their stuff, and at one point, they want to steal the cash register and get everything out of the cash register. <laughs> they do like, take stuff out of the cash register. That's right, they're thieves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, they're thieves, but in a different way than the thief uh, that we hate yeah. and want to see caught is a thief. Yeah. Because these are charming, roguish thieves. Well, and they're not, they don't have a, they don't have a, a, a an underhanded motivation. Cause he, the re, one reason he steals the necklace is to frame someone else. Yep. So that he can marry the, marry into millions. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So he has like, it's not just, he does, it's not just that he wants the diamond necklace. It's right. that he wants. And when, uh, and when the others, uh, you know, who are thieves, See the necklace. They don't try to steal the necklace. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they go, here's the, here's the necklace. There's, yeah. it's, it's a tough beat to play because if these guys are, you know, uh, stealing your wallet, we're, oh, are we on their side? Yeah. And it turns out we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a tough, it's, we're used to it. We're okay with it. Uh, but why are we okay with it? <laughs> you could see how that would be a note that mm-hmm. someone would give in a movie. Like, wait a second. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I guess, well. And Groucho's a criminal mm-hmm. as well, really. Mm-hmm. He's pulling a big scam. Everyone's a scammer. Yeah. But the other ones are mean, so it's okay. So the scammers beat the scammers in the end, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, part of it is that one thing is that the, um, uh, Chico and Harpo are pretty, pretty ineffectual as, as thieves. You know, are they? I mean, they're stealing some wallets. And they're stuff, really good at stealing wallets really and watches wallets. and stuff. They mm-hmm. will pick your pocket yeah. in a really. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they know what they're doing. But then you think they'd leave? They would leave. Yeah, not just hang around waiting for someone to realize. <laughs> hey, my wallet's gone. Well, yeah, but they're not going to leave the hotel because they're running a scam where they're going to like stay at the hotel for no money for, yeah. forever. Yeah, and they're going to just rob the people at the hotel, but in a very, very charming way. <laughs> yes, it's very nice. Um, so. There, are, watching the movie, I hadn't seen it for a while. It's funny. The my very first time seeing um, the coconuts, I um, I uh, was uh, it was one it was it was on my list of must see movies. One day, my aunt had this terrible problem at her house, and her her um, drain backed up, and she was getting flooding in her basement. Ooh. And so my dad and I went over, and uh, we were gonna 
dig out this drain and we're going to fix all this problem and stuff like that. And I was just a teenager this time. So my experience of digging were very limited. Yeah. Uh, so we got there and I soon found myself just kind of on the outskirts because my dad was digging away and uh, some other neighbors had come over to help and they were all digging. And I was just kind of standing and watching. It was raining out and I was just sort of standing and watching. And I was thinking to myself, well, you know what's on? <laughs> Coconuts is on. I've never seen it. So I really want to see it. So I decided, I just kind of like, you know, just sort of ghosted yeah. Disappeared from the scene. Back when you could only watch something when it was on. Yeah. It wasn't you're not going to DVR it for no, later. No, there was no DVR. No, this is the only way I was going to no see VHS it. VHS at that point. So yeah. I just went into the house and just sat and watched the coconuts, and uh, it was great. And everyone outside was was digging <laughs> digging a ditch in the rain. Yeah. And I feel no a, guilt about that. No, no, because you were uh, you were very Marx Brothers in your, <laughs> in your thing. Then you come back at the last second and just like uh, one thing scuba dirt, just like oof, hard day's work. That's right. Yeah. That's right exactly what i didn't do i just stayed in the house it's an interesting film though like you know it wasn't the first one that i saw so coming to it coming to it um you know as a as a kid having seen you know duck soup and whatnot you're kind of like whoa this is some rough going here i mean there's some great parts uh the buy a duck scene is a is classic. Okay. it's okay no no that's pretty good do you think so yeah, i do i just find a lot of the a lot of the bits just don't really work for me because uh, there's something, this is the way that it's, oh, it just feels weird. It's, it's so strange because, you know, they had done the show for three years. Yeah. You think they would know it. I mean, they did, and they did some rehearsals before they started the movie because, mm-hmm. you know, they were doing animal crackers in the theater at the time that they filmed the coconuts. So on days that they didn't have matinee performances, they would go out to Long Island to Astoria Studios, Paramount Studios there on, in Long Island, and they would, fil- they would do, a, they, they'd do some shooting and then they'd go back at night to do animal crackers. And it just feels weird to me, like, there's never, there's a lot of times in movies where I'm like, gee, the delivery of this isn't as as fresh as it should be or as quite as good as it, as it could be. It's not super crisp. Yeah. I'll give, I'll give you that. Why what I, what I like the viaduct scene um, is uh, it almost feels like someone playing their greatest hits. And they're like, oh, they're doing the viaduct scene. <laughs> uh, but there's such a sense of play between the two of them. Yeah. You know, and it, it's fun. They're going back and forth. They're really watching each other. Yeah, yeah. They're they're way. They're, you know, it's it's they mm-hmm. they've done this before. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They're having a good time. It's building in the frustration. It's good. And the other nice thing about it is it really sets up Chico's character as being this oblivious guy who yeah. actually wants to be helpful. Yeah. Like he's not being a jerk about it. Uh, <laughs> he 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 just he's not going to get it. Yeah. So when he's later doing the auction scene, yes. and he's he's genuinely trying to be helpful, like. I'm I'm doing the right thing here, and he's just like killing Groucho, but they but it's like a minor yeah. it's a, it's a it's a smaller version of of yeah. that. Yeah. So when it, the, the the grand version of it later it mm. it, it works because they've established that relationship oh, between yeah. the two. No, of them. Good. There was a lot of times I was laughing when I was watching it. There was a mm. lot of laughter. And one of the scenes I like is a lot is when um Harpo is tearing up the mail that's, and then <laughs> yeah. Groucho starts just handing him the mail to tear up. And he yeah. Goes, I'm sorry we didn't get the uh the second you know we haven't got our second delivery of the day yet because he. You know, yeah, it just seems he's just, just into the chaos. Yeah, he's just, he's just he finds the, he finds those two delightful, you but, know. Until until he's frustrated a little bit because they're uh, they're messing up his big con plans. Well, you're right, and then I mean you're right to say also that you know the film concentrates way too much on, on an important element of the movie, which is the romance between between uh, Oscar Shaw and Mary Eaton, the act, actor and actress, who are okay. But aren't great. Yeah, you're not rooting for them by any means. Yeah. yeah, you don't you don't care. Like I remember the first time I ever saw a Marx Brothers movie with you, and again, I'm not 100 percent sure what it was. But uh, I'm, I'm exactly sure what it was. Very good. Uh, we'll we'll mention it when we actually get to the movie later on in the uh, in the series. Sure. But uh, but when the songs came on, it was just 
Oh, brother. And yeah. those songs were way better than the songs in this. Mm. The songs that start in here, it's just like, okay. <laughs> All right. We're going to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. And mm-hmm. this, uh, the one interesting thing about the dance sequences is that they're filmed in a in a in a Busby a Busby Berkeley style. Yeah. Before there was a Bus, Busby Berkeley style, so I thought that was kind of interesting that they that they thought of like going up on a catwalk and filming down on the dancers, so you get the pattern of their dancing. Yeah, like you see the dance. Okay, all right. Now later on, when you're getting into like Gene Kelly and that kind of thing, mm. you're uh, you're amazed by the dancing that you're seeing. It's yeah. just dazzling. Mm-hmm. It's like a person who's an alien doing this dancing. Yeah. When I was watching the dancing in this, I was thinking, well, I could probably do that if I had two days rehearsal. You but, know, this there's nothing here yeah. that's like exceptionally no, no, diffi- difficult. But that, but that was cho- chorus line dancing. That's what yeah. it was. They weren't exceptionally great dancers. They were people who were teachable, who were also good looking, mm-hmm. who looked nice, who weren't didn't mind having their uh, showing their upper thigh yeah. with some shorts on, and you know could kick their legs. That's all they wanted. Right. So I'm watching the Marx you know, Brothers. The really good dancers. Did solo performances and things like that, right? Sure. I'm watching the Marx Brothers who are like, you know, uh, not at their best best, yeah. but still, they're, yeah, they're, really they're top of the game oh, for yeah. comedy. Yeah. So, And now we're going to cut to some dancers mm-hmm. who look like, yeah, I can, I can dance a little. Oh, okay. Could I just go back to the people who are really good? Because <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is no... Mm. <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, yeah. And you wonder... <sighs> yeah. And you wonder, would it... I mean, even when they were... Uh, as a vaudeville group, I mean, there are times when they weren't on stage and it was just chorus girls or sure. or a singing part of the show that they weren't involved in. Uh, but I have to, but yeah, I mean, it I feels still... like a mandatory part of the movie. So mm-hmm. that's what it felt like. It just felt like this is what you had to have in a movie back then. Yeah. I get it. Here it goes. You know, you gotta you gotta take your medicine. Yeah. Now we're gonna get to the candy later. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Marx Brothers are the candy, <laughs> and now we're back to so not medicine but vegetables. Yeah. And like here comes the singing broccoli again. <laughs> All right, and we're getting through it. And you know who cares about the plot? Who cares about the songs? Who cares about the dancing? The Marx Brothers stuff is what you're here for. Whenever yeah. they're on on screen, it's great. Yeah. The uh, yeah, and uh, the one thing that surprised me watching the film was when Gro- or Gro- not Groucho Harpo. Shows up and he's playing the clarinet. Mm. I was like, I didn't know Groucho played the clarinet. He's not the greatest clarinetist in the world, but he toodles away on it quite, quite well. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and I always love the harp, the harp part of the show, the, the show. And I, and I really, really always love the, uh, Chico. the Chico and his piano playing, which yeah. is so appealing. And so you can just imagine him, uh, yeah, you can just imagine him like entertaining people with with his. Uh, yeah, with I'm his not a million mile. Yeah, again, the, the the Harpo to me again. I'm not the greatest harp fan, so it's like <laughs> he sure can play. Yep. Yeah. I, I guess I guess when I see uh, the clarinet, I just assume everyone back then yeah. could do anything. Mm. Like I feel like if you handed Groucho a ukulele, he'd be able to play it. Well, that was you, guitar was his instrument. Yeah, if you handed Chico like a pair of tap shoes, yeah. he'd be able to do a little, uh, you know, a little <laughs> shuffle for you. Like everyone could do something if you were in the business. Yeah. So that's yeah, it doesn't come across as a big surprise mm. to me. And again, I like Chico. I think like does enough style with the. Um, with the with the piano that it's yeah that's that's fine by me but I'd rather like just get back to the comedy I'm yeah. I'm not the the biggest music fan uh in movies you know so it's like I just want to see them being the Marx Brothers I understand though you're gonna get that scene in a uh, in a Marx Brothers movie I get it what it's did fine. you what did you think of the of the of the room scene where they're running from room to room and and uh, 
bothering Margaret Dumont and uh Yeah, I was and, uh, I was I was all right with it. I think uh I think it would have worked so much better live. You yes, have, like, you had really loved it. Mm-hmm. It would be way more dynamic live. Yeah. Because you, know. you get a sense of you get a sense of it developing in front of your eyes and people running in and out of and and, and you get oh, see all oh, the complete room and Yeah, it's extreme it's extreme mm-hmm. farce and on yeah. stage it would be yeah. amazing and yeah. on screen it's it's all right. What I like about it is that it's 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 a very common thing. It's it's obviously yes, it's out of farce, the idea of, of adjoining rooms and people running back and forth and, and running in and out but the Marx Brothers once again they make it their own because it's so silly. Like, you know, Harpo Doing the Australian crawl, yes, out of, you know, and actually squirting water over his mouth as if he was, yeah. you know, really swimming. And they're just, living cartoon characters. And I love this thing where he's like laying on the bed and he he taps it and to Margaret Dumont as if she's going to get into the bed with him. You know, so he's like, certainly not. You know, <laughs> this is so good. You know, but he does it in he doesn't do it in a in a lecherous way. He does it in a childish way. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's chasing, you know, you feel like when he's chasing the women around the hotel, he's just chasing women around the hotel. He has no interest in them other than the fact that. They're objects to chase. You know what I mean? There's no end game for him. He's not gonna, I'm gonna get him, I'm gonna kiss him, I'm gonna love him. No, that's not what he's doing. He just wants to honk his horn and chase after people. That's, mm-hmm. that's a fun for him, you know? Oh, you're standing beside me here, hold my knee. Yeah, he's a clown. Yeah. He's yeah. literally a clown. He's got mm-hmm. clown hair, he's got a horn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and things where, you know, he uses the, the horn to, uh, be the punchline. Yeah. To, to just do sounds and weird rhythms. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And it's the nature of the film. I think Harpo kind of comes out the best in the movie, partly because the director was more sympathetic to him. So he gave him some bits to do, like mm-hmm. eating the telephone and drinking the It's a visual medium, ink. too. Yeah. You know, Harpo's stuff, because you have such a big image of him, uh, lets you, lets, lets his stuff, uh, work, work more. Yeah. Whereas like Groucho, mm. uh, it's verbal stuff and yeah. that might work on radio even better or it might work on, in life and, and on stage even better. But so magnifying what you're seeing of Harpo, that mm. just makes his stuff better. Yeah. Yeah. So for sure he's, he's on it. Yeah. I love the, and I love the final, uh, well, the, the dinner scene, uh, where, where Harpo keeps like standing up and then doing that weird sort of grimace. Thing and then sort of walking off mm-hmm. and then coming back in he's kind of getting tipsy because we don't realize why but that we later learn he's going over to the punch yeah because and apparently he doesn't like anyone's speeches because every time someone starts a speech he just stands up and makes this weird grimace and then leaves again <laughs> so good so good in every way uh something like the uh the auction scene with chico uh <laughs> always going yeah you know, and then and then they exaggerate to the point where uh, they're accused. The wrong person is accused of yeah. uh, of of stealing, and like you're gonna. I forget what the actual punchline is, but it's something like you're gonna get this amount of time, and then Chico like goes up with that as well. <laughs> it's just great. But the uh, you know that when they were in the theater and he kept he kept like going up. You know the audience was going nuts. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. react and reacting to it, and you're not sure. getting that in the movie. Mm. Uh, but for sure that would have been going on. Oh in the yeah, theater. yeah, for sure. Yeah, and. The other thing about it was, was, you know, I mean, in the theater was, you know, and it's sad for us as people living now is that, you know, we didn't get to experience what people living in New York got to experience or people who got to see, see it when it toured, which was you could go different nights and it was a different show on different nights yeah. because people did different things, uh, you know, and they change lines and change bits and, and yeah. do this and that. There's a, some shows are still like that to this day, which is, uh, you know, great that, uh, there's a famous story of, of George S. Kaufman talking to someone backstage and then stopping suddenly and saying, excuse me, I think I just heard one of my lines. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're so rare in the, by that point in the, in the run, but he never, he didn't mind. He didn't really, honestly didn't mind. He mm-hmm. thought they helped, helped improve what he did as a writer. I think, uh, and, and the difference between comedies then and comedies now, 
are you end with the plot. So you end with the couple yeah. being uh, together. And that's the da-da-da. Yeah, so boring. So boring. Whereas now it would be, let's get the chaos going to the high point, and either you give a happy ending to the comedic characters, or you just build to the chaos point and then put up the end, and yeah. it's all gone into yeah. madness. Yeah. Which I think, you know, I don't want to write a movie for him, but that would probably have been the stronger ending. Though mm. I understand you want, maybe it does work having a, such a traditional yeah. uh, plot that you can then bounce the Marx Brothers off of. Um so maybe 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 that yeah. is maybe that is better, but well, I, yeah. it was a it was a sense at the time that you needed to have a romantic plot, sure, to make the film palatable to to general audiences, particularly women. Yep, because that was the idea then. Women don't want to see crazy comedy. Women want to see romance. That and is so get a the stereotype the yep, nowadays sure. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The more things change, <laughs> yeah, and so. You know, the idea is that you're selling you're selling this movie to families by having the laughs and and the romance, you know. I mean really the romance is just a complete bore and the both the the room with the romantic figures are a couple of pills. And yeah, and you're not gonna be going out weights. humming any of these songs for a long period of time or buying the sheet music by any means. Not if not if you and so you know what the heart, the Marx Brothers reaction to seeing the movie was after it was finished. Yeah, they're horrified. They were horrified by it, yeah. 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 And it wasn't their first movie, actually. They had done another film. Oh, is that right? They did a silent film called Humor Risk. Oh, why are we not doing that one first? Because it doesn't exist. It's, it's lost to the ages. Ah, okay. Uh, both, both early, because uh, there's another movie that was made with uh, uh, Richard Dix that had uh, Harpo in, in a small role in it, as sort of a village idiot. And, um, and I mean, Harpo was cut out of the film almost entirely anyway, but that movie is also lost. Almost... We we don't have a I think about ninety percent of silent films are gone forever. Mm. We only got a very small cream of the crop that were left for us to to see. So um, understandably, a lot of and that humor risk was a film where they were able to convince one movie theater operator to put it on for one matinee performance. Was it a full or a short? It was a short, and uh, I don't know if it was like a t- it was probably like a two reeler, and yeah. And it Does was, the script still exist? I don't think so. There's very little that we know about it. Okay. Just the fact that the Marx Brothers did not like it and decided not to pursue it, and yeah, they wanted to purchase the negatives for the co- for the, the coconuts to suppress the film. Well, did they say what they disliked about it? Uh, they just felt it wasn't funny and made them look. It wasn't didn't it didn't reach meet their idea of what like professional a good performance should be. Hmm. They felt it. Yeah, they just didn't think it made them look good. What was a and again, this is probably asking you too much. What would count as a hit comedy back then? In terms of do- dollars, yeah. What was uh, what was in the theaters that was like uh, that people were going? This is the best. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I don't really know because it really the... feels it started mm-hmm. with them, and yeah. and then this did make some good money. You're talking about as a, like a speaking. I mean, because obviously, yeah, speaking film. Like, if, yeah. like I don't know if there's anything for them to have compared it to. Yeah, and also, what an odd thing it would be back then to just go and watch yourself on screen for that amount of time, <laughs> especially when you're so used to doing yeah. the part on stage. Yeah. Where it I just could disappears. see, yeah, I could see that being like horrifying. Period. It's mm-hmm. like, no, this isn't what it it should be. Yeah, uh, yeah, just it's it's jarring. It's like if just think now about the first time you ever heard your voice on a tape recorder. Yeah, and just go, that doesn't sound like me at all. Now magnify that and have it for like ninety minutes, <laughs> and it's you on on screen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a what a nightmare. Because you're not in black and white. Who are these people? <laughs> it's just so so strange. Yeah, it would be. And they yeah. And luckily they didn't because it actually made two million dollars. 
It was mm-hmm. a huge hit. It was a huge, huge hit. And the people who didn't like it, the people who gave it bad reviews were reviewers who were familiar with the play. Mm. The people who, the reviewers who gave it good reviews were people who did not know the play. And so they weren't judging it against that. They were just judging it on its own merits. Right. And it was, got really good reviews from those reviewers. It did really well in England, for instance, where people had not, you know, the, even though the Marx Brothers had visited, had visited there, they weren't really seen by very many people because they just played a couple of cities and did like a, you know, a week, a limited engagement. And so not everyone could see them or not everyone knew who they were or were interested yeah. in seeing them. But here was a chance finally to see them in, in their glory in a way. And, uh, it was very popular, very my popular with British. My suspicion is that, uh, you know, what, what normally happens with this kind of thing, because you have to like rehearse it and what have you, you don't get the looseness that you do on the stage. So it's, yeah. it's stiff. And yeah, to a comedian, yeah. a stiff version of comedy mm. is horrifying. Yeah. You know what it should look like and it's, and it's this instead. But to someone who doesn't know it, there's even, even when you're getting it playing at 75%, mm. it's still, it's still unique and wonderful. And then these characters are new to them. Yeah. What the uh, Marx Brothers needed was a, a director they could uh, run roughshod over. I guess we'll find out if they ended up with one of those in the future, in a future episode. Yes. Is there anything else you want to say about this uh, this movie, Mr. Dedrick? Well, just one question for you, which is sure. that, so you came into this maybe not knowing, did you feel like you knew the Marx Brothers before you started watching this movie? Did I know them? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, did you culturally? feel... And not culturally, but did you know their characters very well? Like, like when you started watching the movie, were you like, oh, this is Groucho, or oh, this is how Harpo's like, or were you just kind of like going, oh, yeah, this is how it... Well, just because I, I, I love comedy, I yeah. mean, I, 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 here's the thing. I was introduced to the Marx Brothers, as I think most people of our generation were, uh, through cartoons okay. and impressions. Yeah. And other people doing the Marx Brothers. Mm. Uh, so, and then, and then best of films, uh, and then, and short clips. But getting the full movie uh, was 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 very very rare. So no, I was kind of I was it, there was nothing super surprising in this to me. Yeah, uh, I was delighted when Groucho got to be Groucho. It was <laughs> yeah. nice, yeah. and I was like, oh, I hope he gets it. And sometimes when the lines were a little floppy, it was like, ooh, ooh okay, oh, there we go. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was good. Uh, I di- I didn't think it was on on full bore, yeah. Yeah. you know. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in the future, uh, but I think there was enough solid bits that it was every time they yeah. were on, I was enjoying them. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Yep. That's for sure, and I think that'll be a common theme through mm-hmm. most of their films. All right, well, yeah, I'm I'm all talked out. All right, now I have nothing I, left to say. Fair, fair enough. You'll hear no more words from me. I just I don't think that's I don't think you're going to harp on me right now in, in any way, shape, or form. Um, now, if you want to uh, let us know what you think. We have a we have a message board, uh, and that's on our uh, main website. Now we do a, another podcast called Sneaky Dragon. If you want to hear just us talking about other things, that's where to go. And if you want to go to that website, sneakydragon.com, you will find uh, this episode that you're listening to right now. Uh, and underneath that episode, you can post things and go, hey, uh, fellas, you were full of nonsense, or <laughs> thumbs up, agree, or yeah, a third thing, or you know, just have a little video of you doing a Groucho impression. I don't know how you post video. Don't do that. <laughs> um, so uh, that's the best place for people to post things at this present time right sure or they could uh they can email us email us uh again this is all going to be uh places uh that uh that sound like another show but it's sneaky d at sneakydragon.com that's sneaky and then the letter d 
at sneakydragon.com. That is our email address. Yep. Uh, we have a Twitter account, which is sneaky underscore dragon. That's at sneaky underscore dragon. There's a sneaky dragon Facebook page, and these are all sneaky dragon things. Uh, we may end up getting a page on Facebook for this show uh itself we'll let you know when we do that we did that for totally tintin and for completely beetle so odds are that we're going to do that again uh but yeah we would like to hear from you and uh if there's any aspects of the marx brothers that you'd like us to discuss uh get a little uh, further into it. we're this is new ground for us mm-hmm. so uh we're learning as we go along this is our coconuts <laughs> we're probably going to listen to it and go, ah, oh, burn the negatives. Uh, and then, and then find out there are no such thing as negatives. Um, but you know, that's, that's the way it'll be. Uh, so we would, uh, we would love you to be a part of uh, the show. Please, uh, please give us your feedback. And if not, uh, you can just listen to it too. That's all right too. We're fine with that. Uh, <laughs> I've been Ian Boothby. I've been David Dedrick. And this has been the first episode of Full Marks. Thank you so much for listening and your kind attention. Bye.